Welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. I just got to forewarn you here, we're in for a mega podcast here this week. Not MAGA, mega. It's a big podcast. We have Travis Krenz, my good friend, sports director at KORN Radio in Mitchell, South Dakota on right now. Charlie Hildebrand will be stopping by here, hopefully. Marcus Traxler as well to talk some World Cup. Travis, there's a lot going on in the world of sports. A lot of big things uh, uh, going on. I suppose... All right, there Maybe. we go. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I think like specific to the college world, um, but and we'll get to that in a moment here. But first off, let's let's discuss this uh, South Dakota State Amateur Baseball Tournament taking place in Mitchell, South Dakota. How are things going there? Good. Amateur tournament, we're halfway through. A little over halfway through. We had eight area teams. We're down to two. There'll be a couple more left than that, but... Was one of them Alexandria? I saw Del Rapids got upset. Yeah, they got upset. Two-time champs. They were probably the favorite to win it, and they lost. And uh, Alexandria, they lost in the first round. That was a huge upset, too. Wow. Probably the big upset of the tournament. But yeah, some of the, uh, the favorites are gone. And um, on the top half of the bracket, I'd say winner Cologne. They're your favorite now. They're probably number two or three to start the tournament. I believe you mentioned them last week as the, the potential um, dark horse. Yeah. I it would be them and Del Rapids in the semifinals. Winter Cologne, they've made the semifinals for four years in a row. So this is their year to win the whole thing. So with, with Alexandria losing and with Del Rapids losing now... What is that doing for the crowds of at this tournament? Because I know you say that Alexandria always brings a lot of people. I'm sure that'll hurt. Alexandria was supposed to play tonight against Canova, who is another another team with a lot of history and, and draw as well. So yeah, I'm sure it'll hurt a little bit um, as we go deeper in the tournament. So. And when does this, this wraps up uh, next week, right? Uh, Sunday. Sunday is the championship. Okay. All right. And who are the two area teams still in it for you then? We got Kimball Whitelake. Okay. Dimmick Emery, and they play each other tomorrow night. So we're guaranteed one of those teams to move on. Okay. And I think uh, whoever wins that game might go to the, to the semifinals on Saturday night. Okay. Well, one area team left. We'll see how far they go. All right. Very good. Well, good luck uh, to your area teams here and any remaining games that you have there. Um, let's get uh, to the big news here. Uh, we won't. Do you have. Well, I'll, I'll get to it here later on. Um, big news out of the college uh, football ranks. The Pac-12 is all but dissolved now after the Big Ten and the Big 12 raided uh, the the conference or the, the schools just opted to leave. Arizona, the Board of Regents, had a meeting, I think, what, Thursday? And it sounded you know like they were going to move to the Big 12. And then Friday morning, you get some optimism, like the remaining Pac-12 teams might just stay they would sign a grant of rights or something like that that would kind of keep them all intact but then arizona state and utah bolt for the big 12 and oregon and washington bolt for the big 10 
Uh, so something happened between Friday morning and Friday late afternoon that caused this whole bomb to drop on the Pac-12 and college sports as a whole. Uh, it's, I think it's a very dark day for college sports. Uh, it's a certainly a bad day, you know, when a Pac or when a Power Five team so just destroys itself with its ineptitude, and that's clearly, I think, what the Pac-12 has done here. But uh, it, I, I hate it. I, you know me, I'm not a big fan of change, and I, I'm trying not to be prisoner of the moment here. But you know, this is, I think, the last year. I, th until I can get used to these mega conferences, and I don't even think I don't want Oregon or Washington or USC or UCLA in the Big Ten. I don't want that. I don't. I don't want Arizona, Arizona State in the Big Twelve or Utah. I get just it's it just. It's a bad look for college athletics. I blame the the networks. I blame the conferences. Uh, the, the networks being Fox and ESPN. The conferences being greedy. I think it's just going to destroy or wreck college sports. I think it's going to be... I don't know how it's going to look here in a few years, but I'm hopeful that it's going to be a bad outcome for, for football uh, primarily. I think it'll be the opposite. I think it'll be bigger. And better. I think more people are going to watch. The TV money is going to be more. But the Pac-12 believe in you're getting rid of the Western Illinois or UMKC of Power Five sports. Are you going to the, the, the getting, Conference of Champions, according to Bill? Conference of Champions for your lacrosse and rowing champions. They're getting rid of all those folks. That will ultimately yeah, hurt. I've, I've seen an argument made that with Stanford now just hanging high and out to dry, that's going to hurt potential Olympic sports because they like Stanford's you know considered one of the best athletic departments in the country. They win a whole bunch of um, individual sports, but some of these sports, a lot of these athletes go to the Olympics. So this could be a big detriment to the U.S. Olympics. Uh, moving forward, not that you really, I know you're a big Olympic fan. I'm not, no. I know. You're, 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 <laughs> so that is a that is a potential uh, calamity or a casualty in all of this as well. You're making this sound better and better, Stacking. You're know. making it sound better and better. Can we get rid of the Olympics altogether? No, no, don't. How dare you? <laughs> um, a, uh, a, ACC considering Cal and Stanford. Like why? And yeah, I saw, huh? I, it's like why? I saw that too. It's like why? And and SMU in Dallas. So we'll see what happens there. Because when I think Atlantic Coast Conference, I think of a middle of no, like a, a, a middle of Texas team like SMU. I think. Like, people don't like this. I think, like, if you look at the history, like, we were kind of spoiled because when we grew up, there were no, there was no conference shuffling. Yep. From, when, from like, say, like, 96 to when we kind of started being sports fans as a eight years old, when he could remember stuff or so, 96. Mm -hmm. All the way 15 years later or so until Nebraska left. That was the first big move. Nebraska to the Big Ten. Virginia Tech and Miami, I feel like, had left the Big right. East for the ACC by that point, right? And that, and that in the early 2000s. 
So we say, oh, goodbye to the Pac-10. Well, the Big East for football hasn't been around now for like 20 years. Right. Because all those teams went to the ACC. Uh, Miami and uh, Florida. Florida State was already there in the ACC in 93 at Virginia Tech. Syracuse, Pitt. So, so the Big East football, that's gone. Been gone for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the Big East basketball conference has, is still alive with a completely different conference. Then it used to be, and that has happened, what was that, 15 some years ago or so by now? 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. So that, that, that was a big change. Like with the Pac-10... I'm not. I'm not losing anything when it comes to the Pac-10. There's nothing that's not going to be there that I'm going to miss. Uh, don't you think like though, USC, like the- USC and UCLA were the first two big ones? Yep. So I don't blame everybody else from leaving. Right. It's it's kind of it's kind of odd that it was like oh Colorado left and that was like the final straw and then everybody else fuck we lost Colorado now we we got we got to move. We got to move. And I, well, don't you think it was the the fact that we discussed this last week that the it was the media deal the oh Apple streaming is going to be our high our primary source of revenue don't you think it was that like yeah. that the fact that they didn't have a media deal when Pac-12 Media Days was going on and Colorado said yeah we don't trust this and and bolted and the rest of the school were like oh okay maybe we shouldn't trust this revenue streaming source either. For a media deal, and they decided to leave ship as well because they needed stability. Like, what else was there to this media deal besides Apple streaming? That's all there is. If they would announce a good deal with ESPN or Fox or somebody, mm-hmm. Network, uh, they would have paid them a whole bunch of money. They would have stayed. But they saw that, and I mean, there, there's just no interest in Pac-10, Pac-12 sports. There just isn't any. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Apple TV. That no, that that wasn't going to get it done. Hell yeah, I, at least every other conference has an ESPN contract or a CBS Sports Network contract. Something they've got something on actual television mm-hmm. instead of streaming. So there's just no interest for this conference. And if you are these schools, if you're Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Arizona State. Uh, Utah, like you had no choice but to move. You had to move because if you stay at the pack in the Pac-12 and you get whatever money is coming to you instead of going to these other conferences and getting twenty to thirty some million a year, like you have to move. You can't stay where you're at, or else you're going to you're going to be continuing to be passed over. There's a reason why these Pac-12 schools are never in the playoff for football. Which is there's I, a reason why they're a, they're a two or three bid league for basketball. Yeah, which is ironic this year because I think the Pac-12 is going to be the second best conference in college football, only behind the SEC this year. I am very bullish on the Pac-12 this year, and it's pretty much going to be all for naught at this point. But I think I, I hate that it wrecks the pageantry of college football. I, I wouldn't fault, you know, like Oklahoma State has said, well, Oklahoma killed the, the rivalry with Oklahoma, um, you know, when they left for the, when they decided to leave for the SEC. And I think that's a completely legitimate uh, point. Yes, they could play him, but that you, you have limited number of, 
of non-conference games that you can play, limited number of opponents that you can schedule. I don't know if Oregon and Oregon State will resume their uh, rivalry. I don't know if Washington and Washington State will do the same. Like, Washington State and Oregon State are pissed off. And they were just left behind, along with Cal and Stanford. I did read a couple of different articles or you know blogs and stuff over the weekend that have floated the idea that maybe the Mountain West would just essentially dissolve into the Pac-12. So you would lose the Mountain West name, you would keep the Pac-12 name, but yet the, the two conferences would merge. That would be, I think, the best case scenario for the Pac-12. I mean, you do have some good programs in there, like a Boise State, specifically for football. Uh, San Diego State uh, is very good, you know, for, for basketball. You get in, you know, UNLV, if they can kind of come back or whatever. But otherwise, where are these other programs going to go? I think that's the, the best case scenario for them. And that's, by all means, not a win at all. I think best case is for the Pac-12 to dissolve. For like Cal and Stanford to go to the ACC, to go to the Big Ten, go somewhere else. Because the Pac-12, there's no reason for it to be around anymore. Yeah. It hasn't been. It's been a mid-major conference for a long time. But that's why I'm going to hate this after 2023. And that's why, at least for myself... My interest in college football, and to a lesser extent college basketball, is going to significantly decrease. I can, I can already promise, like, I'm not trying to be prisoner of the moment here, but after this season, when all of these conference realignment, you know, things take into effect, all these teams shift or whatever, outside of South Dakota State, Virginia Tech, and um, Minnesota, I don't, I'm not going to watch any college football because I don't care about it. I don't care that... I don't want to see Rutgers against Oregon. That doesn't mean anything to me. The student-athletes are getting just destroyed here, specifically like for baseball or gymnastics, you know, softball, soccer, whatever. I mean, they're the ones that really don't see the benefit in all of this because they're going to have to travel cross-country and what have you. But my overall interest now in these, these mega-conferences that don't make a damn bit of sense with the geography portion of it, especially if Cal and Stanford go to the ACC like that just it doesn't make sense to me it just doesn't do it for me and I wonder how many people out there are going to feel that same sentiment that I am where I will be interested in my specific teams but I'm not going to watch you know LSU against you know Oklahoma or you know you're gonna watch LSU Oklahoma I don't think I will you're not going to watch Texas, Alabama. No, it does, that does not. That does nothing for me. Texas and Oklahoma can play Georgia and Florida and Alabama and, I, and Tennessee. You're not going to watch Oklahoma play the Volunteers. All of this conference realignment has soured me on because it's just it's complete greed, and it's I think it's destroyed college athletics. I think this is. You know, way, well, way past that. Or I mean, this has happened. It's happened before, and you know, the six schools that moved. I don't know if this is the. This should push you over the edge. You probably. I'd say you should have been over the edge. You know, a decade ago. 
Um, but yeah, I, mean, I think it's going to be better because you're going to get you know USC playing Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, I'm whoever also- else, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska. That'll be better than USC playing Cal or Stanford or Oregon State or Utah or, or any of these other schools. It's I'm, like, I, I don't think anybody cares. And USC is still going to have a chance to play UCLA and Oregon and Washington. There's not a single matchup that's not going to happen anymore that I'm sad to see go. And that's fair. That is fair. That's you know. is there any matchup that you're well, you know what? All right, I think you know, maybe the Oregon schools and Washington school. I'd imagine at least one of them will continue to play, perhaps if not soon, then maybe in, in future years. Well, I mean, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, the Battle of Bedlam is always kind of interesting. What happens in that game? What happens in that game? Who wins that game every year? Late, Oklahoma wins that game every single year. Lately, it's been a little more split, but I get, yeah, they, Oklahoma's overall like dominant. 20 years, Oklahoma State won three of them? Yeah, it, not, not a ton. Um, I also don't like it, like, from Minnesota's standpoint, like, it's just gotten significantly more difficult for you to win the, you know, win the Big Ten, or, you know, I I, I, don't, I don't know how these, like, how are you going to do this? Like, are you going to set up divisions? Like, is Minnesota going to have to be forced in with... Nebraska, Iowa, and the four, you know, Pac, you know, Pacific Coast schools. I don't know. Well, it's going to be like the old, what was it, the NFL West? It could be. So, are you going to divide this into like three three divisions of four or four divisions of four? Uh, like, is that what you're going to have to do? That would make the most sense. Make it in two divisions of nine, and the Western division is the Pac ten. Pack nine, whatever you want to call it, because half the schools, four of them are going to be former Pack ten schools, right? So you've got. I think there's a lot. There's so many more intriguing matchups with this. I know people don't like it, but they, it there's just a, to me, there's it's a reason why they're getting paid all this money, right? Yeah, so USC. All the I mean, USC versus Pack ten schools. Nobody cares. USC versus the Big Ten schools, that's that's better. But when I think of Big Ten, USC is not Big Ten. UCLA is not Big Ten. Oregon, Washington, not Big Ten. So you get, yes, you might get some of these, you know, better matchups between, like, Michigan and Oregon or Michigan-USC. That's fine, but that's not a true, it, it's not a true Big Ten matchup to me. It, like, what, what is a true, when you think of a conference, what anymore is a true Big Twelve team or Big Ten team, or I mean, I, I mean, mean, I would say is, is Missouri a true SEC team? No, no. no. Geographically, they fit, but no. I mean, West Virginia—they've been in the Big Twelve for a while. Yeah, is, is West Virginia a big? You got West Virginia, and you got teams down in Texas. Yep, and it doesn't make sense there either. I would, I would honestly say West Virginia should go to the ACC. And you've had all the ACC, you have teams in Florida, you have Boston College in Massachusetts, it goes, technically, I guess it goes up the Atlantic coast. Right. And that's- you have teams you know, thousands of miles away. And the American Conference, they've had teams from all, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and they're, they're the hodgepodge. They're trying to stay alive. And so I have no problem with these teams moving on to different conferences. I mean, this ended 
many years ago. Yeah. So Oregon and Washington and Arizona moving doesn't shed a tear for me at all. I and just, you know the Big Twelve, you get the Big Twelve for basketball. You got what Kansas, you got Arizona in there now. Yep. Um, Baylor. Utah for football. Utah for losing to football. Mm-hmm. They're there. So yeah, I mean it's it's all money, and that's what what the thing is, and where can you go to get the most money uh, for your school? Well, Mark Cuban talked about the, made this statement about the NFL. It was something about like the the fatted pig is getting too fat. You know, you know, have to slaughter it at some point, and that might not ultimately be good. Like you just get too big, and I think that's what's happened now, specifically in college football. But it's going to have major ramifications to the rest of college athletics. I, I think Mark Cuban was right. He just had the wrong type of football. I th- like. I think we're going to reach a point. I really do. I think this is kind of the apex here where like, there's really nothing else now that can happen that's going to be as explosive as what we just saw happen on Friday to the Pac-12. And I don't... Th- I think now, this is just my thought and kind of more my hope, I guess, more than anything, but I do think there's going to be a little more animosity towards what has taken place now, towards the Big Ten, towards the Big 12, the SEC, uh, what have you. I think you will start to see some people say, hey, this isn't good. Now, they, they still may watch. We'll see how many of those people that share that sentiment, the same sentiment that I am expressing, will continue to watch some might not though and i think you know it really ultimately the regular season means absolutely nothing so if college football like you know what what are we going to get now from nbc and and cbs now with the big 10 i suppose they're happier but are people gonna more people gonna watch i don't know like i think it's gonna take a little bit of time for these uh these providers you know the, these companies to get people used to the fact now that you're going to see Arizona against West Virginia in a conference matchup you're going to see Oregon against Penn State or Maryland against UCLA I think it's going to take some time and I ultimately don't know if that's going to help um, if that's going to be beneficial for college football I think it's going to be bigger than it's ever been Okay. We'll see. Because, I mean, that first USC-Ohio State game, how big is that going to be? That's probably going to be probably among the top five or top three most watched games that year in the regular season, assuming they're both good. How big is, you know, Texas and Alabama? They played recently what they play again this year, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just a regular conference matchup. It's like big whoop. And I, I feel like they're not going to play that often. Because you got teams in the SEC that feel like they don't play like maybe once every five years they play. Yep, and and I think oh, now, how often does Georgia and Alabama play? Well, they they will play they more never, often now. I think under this uh, new setup, this new scheduling setup that the SEC is going to have. Because I think they're going to have they're going to play every team in the conference once every two years and have a home game against well, them once every four. So I think there is that, but okay, hasn't LSU Alabama now been forced down our throats way too often, you know, putting it in prime time and the games haven't lived up to the hype? I feel like that's what it's going to be like with Texas and Alabama. And how many times have we talked about, 
you know, Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC, and they're pretty much just going to be average because LSU, Alabama, Georgia, perhaps Florida, like these teams are going to be better than Texas and Oklahoma. They may be middle of the pack. Maybe they'll get, maybe they'll have a year or two where they're one of the top teams in the SEC, but compared to the teams in the SEC, compared to like where, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are in the Big 12 where they're the big dogs, they're not that big in the SEC by all by by all means. I mean, it's just that's a fact. I, I I just don't know if it seems like they're gonna have to market and try and really manufacture these conference matchups to get you excited. Texas does nothing for me because I don't think they're gonna be that good in the SEC. I don't think Oklahoma's gonna be that good in the SEC. I, I just don't. No, it's all about the name brand because... The name brand helps. It's the Yankees. The Yankees haven't won a World Series in 20 years, and they're not mm-hmm. really good this year, but it's the Yankees, and it's the Dallas Cowboys, and it's the name of the Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl now in nearly 30 years, haven't been to one in 30 years, but it's the Dallas Cowboys. And that's why we always see week one, Giants-Cowboys. Yep. I don't care. You don't care. But it's probably going to get 25 million people to watch it on opening night. But a couple of borderline playoff games. But how many of that? How much of that is because of how many fans there are of Dallas? Like you can have a lot of, you can have a lot of fans of Texas when they play Alabama. You have a lot of Alabama Crimson Tide fans. But how many other fans are going to be jacked up for that matchup outside of those two specific fan bases? Like so, yes, I guess you might see some more eyeballs for that game, but how much interest outside of those two colleges will there be? I don't know. I, I that's where I think the the overall interest is going to kind of go down. And and I think you know college football is oftentimes referred to as a regional sport. I mean, it's it's practically religion down in the South. You know, at the SEC, you get areas where I mean they love their college football but it's kind of like baseball I would say to a degree you have those you know it's a regional sport like yes you like your team but maybe you just don't maybe that's where your interest lies is just with your team and you don't really care about the rest of it I that's what I kind of think is we're headed towards and I I'm more than likely am wrong but that's what I kind of sense I think it's the opposite because now the Big Ten stretches from New York to Oregon and Seattle. So the Big Ten is going to get more popular because they're going to go from coast to coast. Yep. So I think, I mean, all these networks, they're gambling. I don't think it's much of a gamble, but they're paying these football teams and these schools a lot of money to play football games against each other. And they're assuming a lot of people are going to watch and they can make a lot of money with these games. You know, you got Big Ten now on every network, CBS, you know, the ABC, or Fox and NBC. They're on everything. Yep. Um, yeah, they're not on ESPN anymore, though. No. And I think it's going to be just get bigger and bigger each year. And you're going to have a playoff and – Playoffs going to go to 12 teams here soon. Mm-hmm. going to be more like other playoffs than every other division of football where it's not just four teams. I don't know how you have a playoff with 
You have 100 schools out there. You have however many are actual contenders, but we're going to just pick four. When other, other divisions of football, you look at FCS, like every year there's a 7-5 and five team in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, so it's going to go to 12. You have, I guess, three major conferences, well, I guess four major conferences as long as the ACC holds. Yeah, and that's a big thing, too. We don't know. Like, by the, this time next week, the ACC might start to implode. We know FSU is trying to, you know, get out of their media rights deal and more than likely join the SEC. Does the SEC try and go for Miami? Do they try and go for Clemson and North Carolina? Like, what the ACC is by no means safe in all of this. And they're, and they're trying to add, and it, you know something we've never heard, we haven't heard of anything about, and as quick as all these things, as we, we were here last week, and we were talking, and I think we said and we agreed, you know what, by the time we talk next week, what big changes are there going to be? Will the Pac-12 be around anymore? The answer is yep. no. Yep. And all these other schools, it was like maybe 48 hours after we talked. Mm-hmm. All this stuff broke out. Oregon's leaving, Washington's leaving, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, they're all leaving. Yep. It happens so like how does it happen so quick? I don't know. All right, we're we're gonna get all the decision makers together, we're gonna vote. Where do we wanna go? We wanna go to this conference. Well this conference has gotta to get together and they have to agree to bring this team in. It feels like it all it takes is a phone call. Utah, do you wanna to go to the Big Twelve? Yes. Arizona, we wanna to go to the Big Twelve. Do you want us? Yes. Okay, it's done. Boom, we'll announce it tomorrow. Like, I, 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 that feels like literally all it takes. Yep. For such a monumental move, it's like, USC, you want to go to the Big Ten? Sure, why not? Give us a lot of money. We'll go. Okay, thank you. We'll be we'll be there next year. We'll start next year. That's a, I feel like that. All it takes. And one thing we haven't heard of is the Pac-4, the Pac I guess, the Pac-12 doing anything. We, we've had reports, you know, the Big Ten's adding this team, the Big 12 adding this team. The ACC, for some guy in God knows who wants Cal and Stanford. Yep. Even though it makes no sense. They the, want Cal and Stanford and SMU now to stay afloat or is, to it, add to their, add to their uh, com- bunch of teams. Completely void of leadership right now. That's what the Pac-12 is. Who do you want? Do you want San Diego State? They're lucky they didn't leave right? for the Pac-12 like they wanted to because they'd be in the middle of nowhere. Where'd everybody go? They all left. Well, do you, um, I think, though, if San Diego State gets added and maybe like a Boise State or an SMU, I think if they get added, I don't know if this this whole thing happens. I don't happens. think that's because once all these teams are done moving, like there's nowhere else to move. All the teams are in their spots. Yeah. Yep. So, so like, should be done with conference alignments. Not forever, but I'd say pretty much for good. Because... You're at 18, a lot of these eight, 16 teams, 18 teams. You really can't go more than 20 teams in a conference. Well, so you basically, conferences yeah. are going to be split in half. You're going to have an Eastern, and West, or North and a South. That's where the hog is going to get too fat here eventually. I don't See, I don't think this is completely done yet. Because the Big Ten was like, oh, yeah, we're not expanding all of a sudden. Oh, we're adding Oregon and Washington. Big 12's like, oh, we're only planning to add teams to get to 14. What are they at now? 16? 17? 18? So I, this is, I don't think we're done here. I, I do not think this is the end-all, be-all. Other, there, there's going to be more. The Big, Ten, the Big Ten can add, I feel like 20. 20 is the max number because I don't know what 
you do on the field, you, you can do you know, two conferences of nine or two conferences of ten. But see, that's and basically you, you split your conference into two two divisions. But see, that's and, where the issue. That's where I think the. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, so I see that like it's you know the Big Ten becomes Big Ten A and Big Ten B. The SECs, or you just get rid of conferences altogether. I don't know how that would uh, would work. And you have sixteen teams or eighteen teams, and you figure out. Why don't you just do it regionally? Like make it a you know just do like the the Midwest, the Southeast, the the South Central, the Southwest, the West Coast. Like uh, that's why I don't think that it's going to be all that easy. They're going to want to get more comp. They're going to want to get more teams, and at some point that. Hog is going to get too fat, and it's going to need to be slaughtered. And I don't, I think there's, I think it's, I don't think, you know, the Big Ten or the SEC is like, oh, 20's the max. I think they're going to say, boy, if we can get another team or two here, yeah, let's continue to add. And I think that's the problem here, like with the Big 12 and with the Big Ten, with what they've been doing, and even the SEC, because the SEC really started all this when Texas and Oklahoma decided to leave the Big 12 for the SEC. You're eventually just going to get to the point where you feel like you need to add more teams to just be on top of that next conference, on top of the other conference. Because right now, so let's say, like, if the SEC wants to add some ACC teams and poach from the ACC, who do they go after? Florida State, Miami, Clemson, yeah. North Carolina. If you take North Carolina, don't you have to kind of take Duke because of that basketball? Point like I don't think you would you you're not taking North Carolina for football, just like you wouldn't take Duke for football. But if you take those five teams, they're at 21 now. So I don't think there is a set number that these conference. I think eventually they're just it's going to backfire on them because they're going to get too big for themselves. And they'll be fine because Disney and Fox and NBC and CBS they will all continue to pay. All of these conferences and all of these teams, tens of millions of dollars a year to have their games on their networks. As long as people keep watching. And that's, It'll be fun, man. People are going to keep watching. Do you feel any, uh, do you feel bad at all for the student athletes here? No. Okay. I do, because I don't think I don't it's. Well, what I like, no. I don't think it's right that UCLA and Rutgers should be playing. This ain't college. This is professional sports now. This ain't right. I feel like like this has just been licensed for a long time. But I'm hoping that the baseball and soccer players, the softball, the you know the the Roy, the track and field, whoever. I hope they're getting some of this NIL money now because that like it. I, I'm guessing they aren't, but that's not really fair to ask. Uh, you know the Oregon Ducks to fly out to Piscataway, New Jersey for a soccer game where people don't give a shit. Like, this is all central, this is all regarding, or all, you know, around football. They aren't thinking about the other guys. They aren't thinking about these other teams. They don't give a shit about student-athletes. They don't. They could say, oh, yeah, we care about them. No, you don't, because if you did, you wouldn't make them fly three, 4,000 miles across the country for a three-game series and then come back and have to be in class two days later for eight a, for an 8 a.m. exam. Don't I, I'm not buying that argument at all. No, they never have, so let me say that they have or they do. If they don't, right. 
You could even maybe like remotely buy it initially, just based on how things are going. But now with how big these conferences are getting, like in terms of the miles that have to be traveled here, absolutely not. I'm not listening to that argument at all because it just it it's a lie. It is a bold faced lie from these big these conferences, these presidents. It's a lie. Phoenix to air, Phoenix to Seattle is fourteen hundred miles. And that, that, that used to be a conference matchup. I guess mm-hmm. Arizona to Seattle is 1,400 miles. That is not a short trip. Nope. And I feel like you're not going to have to travel that much or that far. Because if you're USC, you're going to have to travel to Portland. So LA to, I don't know, they just say Portland for easy math. All right, let's go Eugene, Oregon. And that is still, how many miles is that? Probably a thousand. Los Angeles to Eugene, Oregon, that's 855 miles. Like, that's not a short trip. No. So even these teams that are in conferences, they already have long trips. Like, what's what's bookings to Indiana State? That's not a bookings to even Missouri State. That's How about Youngstown State? Yeah, so all these other... Even the conferences the way they are, you're, you're still traveling an extreme amount, and they've got planes, and they can get get to where they need to get. So, yeah, this is a big business. A lot of money is getting there. Like, you could cut soccer. You could cut all of these sports. This is all football. Football pays the bills. If your basketball team breaks even, that's good. Everything else is just there to have things going on i will be curious to see how recruiting goes now for some of these schools these you know power five schools if athletes start making a different choice uh like i said in like the baseball the softballs or whatever because of the 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 distance that they'd have to travel i'm just wondering if that's going to be something that that factors into all of this and ultimately it's not a huge deal to these universities but you know, it it's something to look at. There's a whole lot of tentacles to this here, and you know, it's yeah, we'll see what happens next week. By this time next week, we could be talking about something else happening again. I think we're about yeah, we're about done. We'll see if the ACC makes a move, but the big I think the big moves have been are, are done. I got this article here. Michigan State joined the Big Ten in 1950. And that's the first new addition, I guess, maybe in the Big Ten in 38 years. Uh, the ACC went about 30 years before they expanded. The SEC went 60 years before they changed. These conferences were around for a long time, and they just they didn't add anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Carolina, they left the ACC for the SEC in 1971. Arizona and Arizona State, they joined the Pac-8 in 78. That made it the Pac-10. They left the WAC. The WAC is no longer with us. Georgia Tech, they joined the ACC in 83. A lot of these teams were independent. The Big East formed football in 91. Arkansas and South Carolina joined the SEC in 92. They used to be in the, the Southwest Conference with Texas. Uh, Florida State joined the ACC in 92. Penn State joined the Big Ten in 93. 
The Big 8 went to the Big 12 in 96. They had a Texas, Baylor, Texas Tech, and Texas A&M. Yeah, remember the Southwest Conference had Arkansas and Texas. Like, they, those were yeah. rivals. They were all those teams. Uh, the Mountain West went from the WAC, but the Mountain West has only been around for, what, 20-some years, 25 years? Like, the, the WAC used to be good. The WAC used to be something. Yeah. They have BYU. And, and all these teams. Uh, Miami and Virginia. Said the, the first big one I think you mentioned was Miami and Virginia Tech going mm-hmm. to the ACC. Yep. And Boston College would do the same thing. And then Nebraska joined the Big Ten. Colorado, Utah joined the Pac-12. A&M and Missouri would join the SEC. And I don't think a lot of people had a whole lot of problem with these because – Geographically, it made a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. But then, like, you have West Virginia joining the Big 12. Like, that's that's nowhere near Big 12 territory. Right. You have, you know, ACC brought in Syracuse, Pitts, Notre Dame. Yeah. Like, Central Florida doesn't belong in the Big 12. And I yeah, and then, and then they're going to, and maybe they get into the ACC, certainly not the FCC. 2013, the Big East ended it. And the American Conference kind of came from that. So a lot of changes, but and when Rutgers joined the Big Ten, that's just a joke. So. Oh, for sure, for sure, and that's again just the green. Like they, they're close to New York City. They can get on cable systems in the New York City area. Yep, yep. That's, that's the only reason they're in there. Now, like if you're the Pac-12, there's nobody you can add that that anybody's going to be like, oh, you added this market. You added the San Diego market. I'm not sure that's big. You added Boise, Idaho. Nobody, nobody's, no network is paying you because they can get to the Boise, Idaho market. Right, but or Boise State is Colorado. at least right. Oh. They're at least a name. Rec- that's why I think the Mountain West and the rest of the Pac-12 have to absorb to. It would keep the 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 power uh, stature. Well, if I'm but- the Mountain West, I'd be like, no, I'm fine. If if your if your schools want to join us, that's fine. But we're not, what, what's the benefit of Mountain West schools joining the Pac-12? Well, if, because it would it would still keep the Pac-12 as a power conference, and therefore you would know. you would have you would it would be a little more money, I think, for the Mountain West. So with this playoff, they got to come up with a in this twelve-team playoff, they got to come up with something that's okay. What conferences get automatic bids? It should be all of them. All of them, and plus a few wild cards. That's ultimately what it should be, but we've mentioned that. They're never, gonna, they're never going to give the Mountain West an automatic bid. What? They're gonna give the, it's the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC. If you win that conference, you get it. How many awful teams have we seen from the ACC? Yes. Make an Orange Bowl because they won. Some team that's ranked 15th in the country, like Pitts or Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. get in. We're, we're we're the 12th ranked team in the country, but because we won the ACC, that's we get why, to go to a big bowl game. But that's like why I'd ACC. like to see like a Liberty take on Alabama in a playoff game because you never know upsets can happen. Yeah, like that's uh, that's want to figure out okay, 12 teams, what conferences? Because it's probably going to only be four four conferences at this point that get automatic bids. I, that's why I think every conference should get in. You know, if you want to expand to 16 at this point, do it. I I just think every conference should get an automatic bid and then you have a few wild cards. 
Like that's ideally because every other division of football, if you win your division, you win your conference, you're in. Yes, and that's what it should be. So there's going to be. Yeah, if I'm the Mountain West, I'd say no. I'm good over. We don't. We uh, we don't need you. You need us. Right. So Oregon State, you want to join us? Come aboard. Because those those teams probably are going to have to do that because. I don't think anybody's going to want Oregon State. Yeah, it's just a dark day. Dark, dark day Friday was for college athletics. Um, that's for sure. Did you watch any of the uh, of the soccer match between USA and Sweden on Sunday? No. Okay. Do you have any thoughts on it or the reaction to the loss? No. Okay. They didn't appear to be very good. They couldn't score goals. Nope. But a lot of people... Liked. What are what are people watching this for? Because they, I, I guess I thought they they win it all like they always do. I had no idea they were this bad. Yeah, it it was. A, a lot of people thought they were this bad. Where it's like, yeah, they're barely going to get out of the group stage. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what people are watching. Like, what are they watching? Well, a lot of people were happy that the USA lost. But these are dumb Republican idiots. It, it's so. yeah, they're very patriotic. I mean that's so patriotic of you to to cheer against America. Like, you know, you, you agree with me on this point? When you see if you're you know rolling through town, whatever town anybody lives in, and you see a big loud truck with an American flag on the back of it, what do you think of that person? Uh, it's I don't think very highly of them at all. I think that person. Uh, when I see that, I think they're a jackass and they're probably stupid. That's yes, I, I think of oh, I see a person with a big loud black truck with a big American flag hanging out of the back. They probably also have I a tiny person, dick. I think that person is a Republican. I, I generalize that. I, I bet that person's a Republican. I bet that person likes Trump. I bet that person is a racist. I bet that person is stupid. I bet that person has never been to college. I bet that person is poor and has a low income. And all of this just because I see a big loud truck with a flag, an American flag. Yep. On it. it, it yeah. It, 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 it's stereotypical to a degree, but yes, I would say, I would say that. And if I were to ask that person all these questions, do you like Trump? And do you, are you a Republican, or do you identify with this side or that side, or all these things, and just say, okay, just see what what they bring. What yep. are the answers to those questions? Yes. And, Oh, yeah, so whatever we're doing. Uh, let's go to baseball now. The baseball, here we go. There we go, yep. Uh, the Minnesota Twins are, you know, here we go again. The up and down season continues. You feel slightly optimistic that this is, a, they're at a point now where they aren't going to take a step back. I was uh, lucky enough to go with a bunch of my cousins to the game on Friday night, saw three solo dingers, and the, the Twins beat the Diamondbacks 3-2. to two. Joe Maurer gets retired, or his number retired by the Twins, goes into the Twins Hall of Fame or whatever on Saturday, and the Twins pummel the Diamondbacks 12-1. to one. And then Sunday, they're down in the ninth inning after Caleb Thielbar gives up a run. And Max Kepler hits a solo shot, and uh, Matt Wallner hits a two-run home run, and the Twins walk it off in the ninth. Uh, just a fantastic weekend. That momentum continued uh, from Tuesday, uh, from you know, into Monday. They beat Detroit. We'll see what they do the rest of the series. They do have a big series in Philadelphia this week, but it's just like okay, 
Things are finally starting to come around now here. Is this something that they can sustain? Like you want to say, oh, they're going to win the World Series right now. They're playing oh, the I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> and you feel like if they play, they, they, they could. They got the pitching. They, they hit home runs. They, they can do this. They, they, they're just as good as anybody if they want to be. So that's nice that they're winning games, but it feels like, okay, I think they're going to probably play Toronto in a three-game series in the playoffs. And it's like, all right, let's say it's, let's say the Twins are ahead two to one in the sixth inning. Mm. He's starting pitchers at eighty-nine pitches. He's been pitching well. Or let's say it's even the seventh inning. Are they going to allow him to throw more than ninety pitches? Who's the Who's the first guy out of the bullpen? Emilio Pagan. Is it Emilio fucking Pagan? Gonna be? Are they gonna go to Griffin Jacks? They're gonna go to Caleb Fieldbar. Duran, I don't feel real confident in Duran right now. So it's just a matter of can they score any runs? Can the bullpen hold the lead? And you just, I just don't feel confident that any of that is going to happen. So yep, it's nice to get get a cushion here. What they've got all of a sudden, they now have the second largest division lead in baseball next to the Braves. Yep. And this division's all but over with. Yep. Just like this. Yep. Um, Duran, uh, I was very happy to be able to see him pitch and close it out. Very cool scene. You know, it's at night. Whatever fans are, you know, like putting their, their cell phone lights on and whatever, the flashlight. So it kind of lights up the stadium, the fire, the, the, the song or whatever that Duran comes into. But he struggled a little bit. It was a little dicey there for a while. Um they strike out a lot. The Twins do it. Not good. Um, they they lead the the major leagues in strikeouts by a mile. Yeah, both batting and then pitching as well. They're they're very good. The record for most strikeouts by a team ever. I don't know. The Cubs from a couple of years ago have the record for most. The Twins are going to shatter it this year. They're going to beat that. Yeah, they're going to shatter it at the rate that they're going. But Duran did get the save. Uh, that was fortunate. Um, it, yeah, it just feels like they're starting to come together a little bit. Michael A. Taylor's had a very good stretcher. I really like this Walner guy. I mean, he's, he's yeah. been hitting the ball. I mean, he's a local uh, product, uh, what, lived 30 miles north of the Twin Cities or whatever. Uh, just things seem to be going well for them right now, and hopefully that's something that they can sustain throughout all of this. Um and we'll see. We'll see if it happens or not. But it's good to see the Twins playing some good baseball right now. Yeah, a five-game winning streak is their best of the year. Yep. Which would say, I mean, if, if that's your best winning streak and we're in early August, I mean, Oakland's had a six, seven-game winning streak. Kansas mm-hmm. City had won six, seven in a row. I was just going to say, yeah, they had a seven. I, I would guess the Twins were probably the last team in baseball to have a five-game winning streak. Potentially, yeah. Uh, I would guess I would Washington. Every other team has done that already. I would guess Washington was there, but maybe not. Because like five game, like like every team usually at least can win five games in a row or sweep somebody, and they've done that. So Arizona, I mean, Arizona is not playing well right now. They've struggled since the All Star break. Mm-hmm. Seven and twenty-one, I believe, as of yeah. um, like Saturday. So that seven and twenty-two now or whatever. 
Yeah, it's good to see though to win some games, get this thing going a bit. Yep. Like Byron Buxton, he's on the on the injured list with a hamstring. Yep. And like he doesn't need to come back the rest of the Nor should he. No. He's he is in such a such a physical state in which he can no which he can no longer play the outfield because of his knee. He has not been a productive hitter this year. He said a few home runs. Other than that, he's at like one ninety eight. Sit him and get ready. August, or yeah, September, October, March. Yep. You have eight months to get ready for next season. Get your body ready to be our everyday outfielder. Mm-hmm. Get surgeries, whatever you need to do to be at whatever your 100% is going to be. Amen. Because we open up that DH spot, get somebody in there. Again, Matt Walner should be playing every day. He's been up and down in the minors. Uh, Max Kepler's hitting some home runs finally. That's good to see. Mm-hmm. Buxton defensively has never played this year. Offensively doesn't give you much. Nope. You need to rest to anybody again at like 80-some games. 85 games is all he played somewhere around there. So another season in which they literally said, we're not going to play you in the outfield to see if you can stay healthy, and that still didn't matter. Right, right. But what what else can you do? We can't do any less for you. Mm-hmm. I'll keep you healthy. I don't know what is so bad with his knee. Like, what, how did a, a six- to eight-week recovery for a what seems to be a pretty typical and routine knee surgery in the offseason has turned into soon to be 12 months of not playing the outfield? So find them. I'm sure he'll come back here at the start of September, and maybe he'll be productive. Just but if hold I'm off. Down, and... I'm saying, you know what? Thanks, but I would hold off until months, that final week. Of the you better be ready March 28th in Kansas City. Yeah, we're going to give you seven and a half months. Whatever you need to get done, you should be able to get that done and be healthy in that time. Yep, healthy both in the mind and the leg, because I think that's. Or than in the knee, because I think that's part of it as well. It's just, it, it's not there. Uh, other news in the Central, there was a big fight between what uh, Tim Anderson of the White Sox and what Jose Ramirez of the of the Guardians. Um, multiple suspensions. Let's break this down. What what was Tim Anderson so upset about? I don't know. Everybody don't. Everybody doesn't like Tim Anderson. And Jose Ramirez slid into second, and they had words, and then Jose Ramirez punched him out. And then Tim Anderson got a six-game suspension. So, that yeah, it was a good baseball fight. Yeah. Punch actually folded. That's, that's good to see. Uh, the White Sox are a disaster. They've traded everybody away. Mm-hmm. Uh, their reliever, Kenyon Middleton, he joined the Yankees, and he said this week that, yeah, the, the White Sox are an embarrassment. There's no rules or no leadership. Ooh, there's a bigger embarrassment in baseball right now, and I'll get to that in a moment here. Oh, we know who that is. I know you and I both know who this is. Oh, I don't think you do. Oh, it fucking better be if it's not. We're gonna we're gonna have a Tim Anderson, Jose Ramirez situation if it's not. Well, it better be. All right. Well, there is an embarrassment. Interestingly enough, the White Sox did the Twins 
some favors this weekend by beating the Guardians uh, two out of three, and then they beat the Yankees. So, boy, the Yankees are bad. Uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron Boone, manager, gets tossed. He had an epic tirade on Monday. The Red Sox and the Yankees are just terrible. Uh, I mean, I guess they're I should say bad, just like they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're still above 500, but they're not like, it's, it's not what you expect from these franchises. No, they're not contenders and they're, they're not living up to expectations. The twins are finally better than these two teams mm-hmm. after being, having a worse record basically all season. They are finally a game and a half better than New York and they're, they're a couple games better than Boston. So. Yeah, but they're not serious teams as far as contending. And then that's, well, like I said last week, not why. That's why they didn't do anything at the trade deadline because sure. they know they're not one batter or one pitcher away. Well, and how much of the issues for the Yankees this year stems from Aaron Judge not uh, yeah. being available for portions of this season? It's a big part of it. Carlos Rodon, who's been awful when he's been back, he's been hurt the entire season. He has started like four games. He's been awful. Now he's back on the injured list. Uh, Nestor Cortez, who was a nice pitcher for him last year, has been hurt now for quite some time. And even when he was out there, he wasn't any good. So you take your best hitter, somebody who had 60 home runs last year, you take two of your best pitcher, and Domingo Herman, who threw the perfect game, is now an alcohol rehab. Uh, and he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So a lot of injuries... Their pitching's not very good. Their hitting is atrocious. You just don't associate the Yankees with a poor-hitting team. So yeah, they need to make some moves here to be more competitive because being an 84-win team is not what you spend the money to, to be. You spend that money to to win a World Series, and I haven't done that in a long time. Right. Right. I, there, was somebody, there was a tweet I saw. Somebody looked at... Players that Brian Cashman has drafted in the last, you know, 25 years or ever since he's been in charge. And uh, what Brett Gardner was number one. He was there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rudd slightly behind him. And then Anthony Volpe, their rookie shortstop, is number three on the list. Wow. And he started his career. Where did for that have been drafted by the Yankees based on their war? They've had two guys that have just two guys that have was Jeter not drafted by the Yankees? That was a, that was before this. Yeah, oh, that okay. was the early nineties, like 92, 93. Okay, okay. So yeah, it was the Brian Cashman era. Okay, gotcha. I thought I thought he had been around when when Jeter was there. Like I know he was, but I thought he had maybe drafted Jeter. Um, I mean, just look at the. You remember the Yankees, and oh yeah, it's just guys they traded for or signed. It's never this homegrown talent. Sure. The Jeters and Bernie Williams and Jorge Posadas and Andy Pettits, all those guys that were the core of their previous dynasty, they were all drafted. And then once those guys left, Mariano Rivera, and then there we are, twenty years later, and they've got. Yeah. Uh, last week, I declared the Angels a winner at the trade deadline and said this is a big month for them to potentially get back into the race. I didn't say they were going to, but they had a chance, and I'm already now declaring them dead. Shovel, Put that shovel, uh, just bury them. They are done. They lose four in a row at home to the Seattle Mariners. 
Uh, they've lost seven in a row. Mariners won five in a row. Yeah, just, they're toast. Just finito. They're done. Uh, just go out to the park and watch Shohei Atani, I guess, because that's you know, if you're an Angels fan, because he ain't going to be staying there that much longer. What a all, for all those moves they tried to make. What I was just liking that they attempted to. Boy, nothing's panning out right now for the Angels. This is the most embarrassing team in baseball. Ah, okay. See, we're, we're differing here. I, I agree to it to a standpoint, but there's something else that I would qualify one team to be more of an embarrassment of. This is the dumbest team in baseball. Oh, probably, yes. Why, again, you traded for C.J. Crone and Randall Grigge. Fine, average Major League Baseball players. It's not. They traded for Lucas Giolito. Fine. They are so goddamn stupid. <laughs> should have traded Otani, gotten back a bunch of prospects. Now they're two in a week. They were riding high. They were four or five games over. Mm-hmm. We're going to the right playoffs. Now they're eight games back of Toronto. They're two games under 500. Mm-hmm. They're done. Yeah, and it's 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 not surprising. It's like you're you're a stupid franchise, you're stupid, and you haven't made the playoffs in a long time. And you had a shot here to, mm-hmm. you had a shot to do something that could potentially lead to wins in future years. They chose not to. I don't know why. And here we are, literally one one week to the day, the trade deadline happened one week ago, and they're eight games out. Yeah, they're stupid. Yep. Nope. I I agree. I agree. Braves haven't been playing that rate of baseball since the All Star break. Hopefully, they start turning things around here soon. All of a sudden, watch out for the Chicago Cubs. They score a ton of runs. Here lately, the Reds have faltered down the stretch, and all of a sudden, the Cubs are two and a half back of the Milwaukee Brewers. I thought the Reds were going to, you know, do do well enough to to win this division, but uh, you get swept by the Nationals at home over the weekend. That's not great, and with the way Chicago scoring runs here lately, including against Cincinnati, um, yeah, watch out for the Cubbies. Cubbies are going to do something here. Cody Bellinger, MVP a couple years ago, was awful for two years. All of a sudden, back. Maybe not quite the MVP form, but he's having a great season. Mm-hmm. And if I'm the Twins, he would be my number one target in free agency. I hope they get him. I know you mentioned that uh, before, and I will hope that that is who they try and go after. Because... I have no doubt if, if they sign him, he would turn his shit immediately again. Because yeah, that's just what it is. But, yeah, you, you give him $20 million a year, hopefully he's figured it out. But yeah, he's been a big uh, reason why. Uh, they've been good. So they had a game behind Cincinnati in the wild card. So good, good races, good playoff races. The most embarrassing team right now in Major League Baseball is actually a division leader. Now that seems a little odd. What is that? What is that? This seems a little odd to say, but it's the Baltimore Orioles right now that look like complete jackasses. All right, good, good. Is this? Uh, have you read or heard about this story? This Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown has been removed uh, from telecast uh, from GameCast since July 23rd, when the Orioles were in Tampa Bay, and he brought up this graphic. Like this was a graphic done by MSA, MASN, uh, the 
the the network that broadcasts Orioles games as well as Nationals games, uh, just the lack of success that Baltimore has had in Tampa Bay over the last three seasons prior to this year. Like, they hadn't won a series. They had won three games or something in the last three years in Tampa, and they've won just as many this year. Like, it's just, it's, he didn't say anything wrong. It was, these are the facts. And for whatever reason, ever since that game, Kevin Brown has been pulled. And it is so petty of the Orioles, so downright disgraceful. And they say, oh, you know, he's just suspended. You know, we look forward to him coming back here soon. They are saying it's not because of this, but they aren't giving a reason why. It seems very, very unlikely, highly improbable that something else would have happened that would cause Kevin Brown not to be on the air the day after or the game after this graphic air, like what could have possibly gone on that would cause the Orioles to suspend him? What a terrible look for the franchise. What a terrible ownership. Thin-skinned, everyone is pouncing on them, and rightfully so from not just the baseball world, but other other like media members as well. I saw Michael Russo from The Athletic, Covers of the Wild. Uh, he talked about how bad of a look this is like everyone's jumping on it michael k from uh you know the who uh, brought is the play-by-play guy for the yankees on the yes network he talked i mean he ripped into baltimore this is a terrible terrible look for a team that has done such great things this year on the field that is a you know they're leading the al east they're a big surprise there's a lot of happiness regarding the orioles and then you pull a stunt like this Wow. Talk about just immediate backlash, I would say, and rightfully so, towards this organization, specifically ownership and upper management, whoever decided it was right. He didn't say anything wrong, Kevin Brown didn't. He just read the graphic. Are you going to fire everyone? It's not like he went rogue here. He basically complimented the team with how good they've been this year. Yes. Yeah, it was good whether he put that together or whatever. Like, it was a good open to a series. What They won three out of four in that series, I think, against Tampa and kind of taken over that division now. Yes, yes. How many graphics have we seen in Twins games? Oh, here's how many games they've lost in a row to the Yankees. Yes. Their record against the Yankees in the last 20 years. That's not good. So, I don't, I don't know who made this decision. I don't know. Like, how does this get to this point where he's suspended for a couple weeks for, I don't, this is just, it's about as mundane of a reason why. It's like, well, yeah, we we go here and you have to, that should be part of the story. It's like, we've won three games here in three years against a division team, which you play quite often. And now we've won three games this year already. We won as many games this year as we have in the past three. So that's strange. Uh, it, it, he's a good young broadcaster. Does some, I think, does he call the hockey? Did he call the hockey championships? Um, called some women's college World Series softball. So, like, if I, I'm sure he likes it in Baltimore. And he works for ESPN. If I was him, I would say, yeah, I want to go sit in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Say, hey, it's, you know, the twin, you know, Dick Bramer's getting up there. See how long he stays around. So whatever openings are out there, 
the Mets, they've got Gary Cohen who's very good. The Mets laced into him pretty good the other night. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, whatever you want to retire, I'll take over the Mets or the Yankees. I mean, there's a lot of Yankee broadcasters that are getting older. So hopefully he goes somewhere else and becomes a bigger star. Where he is appreciated and, like, yeah, and I'm glad that everyone is sticking up for him. Uh, I mean, Peter Angelos, who owns the Orioles, you know what? He's the reason why the Orioles were so bad for years. Because they didn't spend money. They they wanted, they, they were tearing the team down to build them back up. Of course you're going to be bad then in these parts. Like, he's just stating facts. And the facts are that you had a terrible team because it was your decision not to go spend money. Like, what is... What is possible? They've gotten good here because all of their players they've drafted and developed have been good. So now it's going to be up to them to do what the Braves did. Now you have to sign all of these guys. Mm-hmm. You have to sign Adley Rushman, their catcher who has performed well. You have to sign your shortstop, Gunnar Henderson, who's had a good year. All these young guys who are performing, now you have to keep them. And you should be good for a while now. Is so this... this is, is this going to be a play situation? It should be an Atlanta Braves situation where yes, is, but is this and any people is this situation going to have any impact on those players? I would guess probably not. But certainly, oh, I would think for anyone who works at MASN as part of the Orioles production staff, like why would you want to work for this team if you're going to get thrown under the bus like this? Like if that was me and I got suspended for that. That would light a fire under me to say, all right, I'm, I'm leaving. As soon as I can, I'm taking another job elsewhere. Well, and the fact that this has been two weeks since this supposedly, ha- since he's been on the air, why has he not said anything? Like, is it, like, where? why has this taken two weeks for this story to surface? Like, to me... Sure they were, he was told, hey, don't say anything, you're suspended for this. And I'm sure he's thinking... Like, there's no good, there's nothing good I can say at this point. Like, if he comes out and says, this is horseshit, this is bullshit, I shouldn't be like, he's going to get fired. So for him, you just be patient, lay on back. Maybe you're with Baltimore for a couple more years, but then as soon as you got a, a better opportunity, somewhere you want to go. Oh, bolt. Just immediately bolt, yeah. Oh, well, goodbye. Because honestly, if anything, this has made him more money. He's certainly a sympathetic sure. figure, but now teams are going to be looking at him to upgrade their their play by play talent in the event that they you know have guys who will be stepping out of the booth here soon. Yeah, he's he's going to pull. And good luck if you're the Orioles finding someone who wants to willingly be in there. If you know you're going to anything you say could be potentially scrutinized because of the thin skin of Angelos and ownership in the front office. It's just a despicable story. So for all the good thing that Baltimore has done, this takes away a lot of it. Like just the, the negative attention that this has. So by far, they are the biggest embarrassment in baseball right now for off the field situations. All right. I'll give you that, but I still hate the... Oh, for sure. I, I, I get it. But uh, the, the the Orioles take the cake with what what's transpired here. Um. With uh, since July twenty third, but since the story came out on Monday, um, any any other baseball thoughts? Do we have a hitter of the week, a pitcher of the week that you'd like to to throw at? How about Ryan Jeffers, Twins catcher? He's had a great run here. Sure has. What a game on Saturday! 
Yeah, he's in some home runs, and when he's still only 26 years old, and Christian Vasquez can't hit for anything, but he's a veteran. But uh, give, give Ryan Jeffers, you know, this, this opens up the DH spot for him. Mm-hmm. Where when he's catching, he should be there. He should be, I think, they're probably a primary DH. Yep. So hit a home run on Monday night Jeff. against Detroit. Good, good job there. Yep, hit a home run Monday night against Detroit. It was what, like a 13-game hitting streak or something like that? Uh, season high or career high? So, yeah, he's, he's doing great work there. Ryan Jeffers, keep hitting the ball. Do you have a pitcher at all, or should we do a pitcher next week? Oh, what should we do? Pitcher of the week. Well, I don't have any off the top of my head here. Okay, we'll just, we can wait till next week. That's fine. Sure. Okay. Do a pitcher of the week next week, but I wholeheartedly endorse that Ryan Jeffers. Um,. Uh, selection there. Yeah, he's been very good. And you can see the pieces that the Twins have here. If they can stay healthy, you know, keep it. If Carlos Correa can somehow turn it around, uh, there's reason to think, you know, the Twins can be, you know, the the rulers of the AL Central for, for quite some time. Royce Lewis has started his rehab in AAA. Good. So you add him to the lineup. Uh, Brooks Lee, their first round pick last year, is already in AAA. He was promoted this weekend. So he should probably, he will be up next year. Okay, good. Well, Corey Polanco is probably gone. And you figure out where to put these guys. That's where I always thought, like, why why, why Carlos Correa? You know, he's been a good player in the past. But it's like, he's a shortstop, and you've got Royce Lewis who's a shortstop, who's going to be a third. You've got Brooks Lee, who's the shortstop, who now have what? Well, you have Lewis at third, maybe Brooks Lee at second. All right, you got those two, and then you've had Jose Miranda, who has been a huge disappointment. He's been he's hurt now and was demoted a couple months ago. So he was he was not, big last year for him. Yeah, he was their third baseman last year. And had a very good rookie year. So I like Carlos Gray. You know, it's nice to sign someone like that. And hopefully, he has he got to have his. If this isn't his worst year, then, then they've got problems. But why? I don't know. All right, if you want to commit that type of money to somebody, why do it at that position? Yeah. I don't that wasn't that wasn't a need. Okay, that's I don't know. It's it was it was an odd choice personnel wise. And at least through one year he's proven to be a disaster offensively, I guess. I'm sure he's the clubhouse leader. His defense has been good. And hopefully he can get back to where he was. But I don't know, you had two amazing shortstops coming through the system, ready to go right now. And you decided to sign a shortstop. So that's oh, very odd. Yep. Um... NFL preseason officially starts this week. Vikings at the Seahawks on Thursday night. Uh, watch for Ivan Pace Jr., linebacker, uh, undrafted from Cincinnati. He's uh, turning a lot of heads. Harrison Smith really likes him. Uh, Justin Jefferson ranked the number two overall player in the NFL, voted on by the players. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was number one, so congrats to Justin Jefferson there. Pretty much number ever. two in the NFL. What's that? Number two. Number two. Yep. Number two player in the NFL last year. Really? Yep. Only behind Patrick Mahomes. 
I we I do like Justin Jefferson, but I'd be okay calling him the number one receiver. You know, you got like Joe Burrow, you got Josh Allen. I'm sure they were in the top five, ten, I would hope. Yeah, Burrow was for sure. Um that's awfully interesting. Yeah, so there you go. Um we're gonna talk with Charlie here. Uh Later on, uh, we'll preview the Big 12, uh, Notre Dame. And then... yeah, maybe maybe uh, to keep some secrets, if you had to guess what Charlie would say, or maybe uh, you, you actually you actually do have to guess what he would say, what would he say about this? About what? The conference realignments and everything. Well, I... I... Do you know what he's going to say? Do you have a very good idea what he's going to say? No, not, but, or have you, not, you have not talked to him yet. I I have already, so I really okay. can't. I can't. Well, where, what, what, what would uh, what would you think he would say? Since you know what he said, he what, sur- what does he say? He surprised me a little bit with his response. Because um, he feels like he's a traditional guy. But I'm going to say he's going to say, "Hey, this is this is all right." He's looking forward to these other matchups. I, don't know. I think he. I think pretty much told the line kind of right down the middle. Not where I'm on one side and you're not to the side that you're on, but I think you know, he's kind of taken he, – he understands both angles to it. Um, but a lot I think of money involved. they got to chase the money. Yeah. And the Pac-12 leadership couldn't come up with a deal at all. Yeah. Do you want to, to discuss the Big 12 at all, or should we wait with that until we get closer to the season? Yeah, we can Okay, all right. Sounds good. So, yeah, the first of four appearances for Charlie here leading up to the season. You know, camps are in, in session here at South Dakota State uh, going on. So uh, that, that that's good. Uh, excited for that. I still want to know who the one person is that voted North Dakota State the best team in the Missouri Valley. Like, it's probably the guy with that truck with the American flag on it, I would guess. <laughs> He's probably got a big bison uh Sticker too on yeah. it, just to. I got a tattoo in the back on his back. Yeah, yep. America, America, America. Uh, anything else that we haven't discussed that we need to get to before we say so long? Well, there's a rumor out there. Ooh. You're, you'll you'll be interested in this, yes. I'm sure. Yes. Uh, WrestleMania. Oh. Be in Philadelphia. WrestleMania is going to be in Philadelphia next year. We know that. Oh yes. Guess where it might be in 2025? I'm guessing U.S. Bank Stadium. Oh, my. Did you know that, or is that your guess? That was That's my guess. And you're, you'd be correct. So, there's rumors going to be there a couple of years ago, but I think it's time I'd like to go to wherever the Super Bowl's at, or they'd like to hit the stadiums, and they haven't been there yet. So maybe in a couple of years it might be there. At some point, I would imagine it would be. So... All right, get your tickets now. It'd be tempting to go to that. Oh yes, for sure. And, and you know, you would have a you would have a place to stay if you needed it. So. Oh, here we go. WrestleMania in twenty twenty five. Let's go. Right. It's in Denver. That's in Minneapolis. Either way, let's go. It'd be fun. So we'll we'll see on that. Okay. So. All right. Well, we'll, we'll pencil like, it in here. Uh, pencil that in. Yep. Yeah. Yep, I'll, I'll write it down right now. 2025, WrestleMania, Minneapolis. Probably early April, probably uh, 
right around that final four. Maybe the it might be it might it, coincides with the Masters. WrestleMania is a two day event, Saturday and Sunday, so it would likely be the Saturday, the final four. Maybe it might be the week after, but we'll see. Yep, I would guess the week after. You 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 wanted to coincide with the Masters. Well, you know, the golfers might get in there, so you don't want to talk about that. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. I think we have a better chance of the Angels making the uh, playoffs yeah. than the, the the Gophers do of making the Final Four. What a shot. <laughs> Very shot. good. Well, you have a great rest of your week, my friend. Uh, you know, Good luck with the baseball and everything, and we'll, we'll chat to you next week. Hope you get some rain, and we'll see you next week. Oh, my God, please. Please send it to us. I, we're, we're just dry. so dry here. So dry. Must have the wrong, must have the wrong area code or zip code. Something's getting messed up here. I don't, oh, know. I don't know. Yep, it, something's going on. But, yeah. Well, disgusting. It's disgusting how dry it is here. But, very yeah. good. Have a great week. Travis Crins joining me here at Sports Block Podcast. Always appreciate his time. As always, great stuff there. Uh, a lot of thoughts. So he and I differ uh, on on the conference realignment. And I, again, I'm not a fan of it. Trying not to be prisoner of the moment here, but it, it, it just sucks. So we'll, we'll see what Charlie thinks, though, coming up here. And we'll also hopefully try and get Marcus Traxler on to discuss Team USA's loss to Sweden, the exit in the round of 16. The earliest loss for Team USA in the Women's World Cup in their history. So, discuss all that next. But plenty of college football thoughts as Charlie Hildebrand makes his 2023-2024 season debut. And we will preview the Big 12, Notre Dame, the other conferences, and uh, minor conferences. And we'll also have plenty of thoughts on conference realignment here in light of the news from Friday. That's all coming up here next on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search the Sports Block. Follow me on Twitter, or follow me on X at Andy Stack and uh, Travis Crins at Travis Crins, Facebook, Nathan Stack, and a link to the podcast posted in the middle to later part of each week. College football season preview begins next here on the Sports Block Podcast. All right, we continue here on the Sports Block Podcast, and I've been hyping this up now for probably the better part of uh, close to a month now, at least two weeks here, and I'm so pleased to be joined by my good friend from the Northwest Iowa Review, our resident college football expert. It's time for our college football season preview with none other than Charlie Hildebrand. Charlie, it's been a hot minute. How have you been, my friend? I've been good, Stackin. It's been it's been a while since we've done this. Yes. Some minor life changes. I'm working out and getting in shape. You know, now I'm handsome. I'm a quadruple threat grand slam guy. You know, I'm, I was already funny. Now I'm handsome and I'm good at math. Four for four, baby. Wow. Can't stop that. Hey, yeah. Just keep working that charm, dude, and you'll 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 do uh, you'll do fine. Absolutely. That's, That's right. Good to hear. And sounds like you're doing better than uh, maybe the folks at Northwestern and certainly the folks at the Pac-12. I mean, depending which Pac-12 teams or folks you're yeah, talking about, the conference as a whole. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I know George. I forget how you pronounce his last name. Their current commissioner, along with the previous commissioner, might be like the two worst commissioners any major conference has had back to back in a while. Yep. Yeah, Larry Scott really did them in. He really did. Yeah, I was blanking on his name. Larry yep. Scott was bad, and this new guy apparently is just as bad too. Yep. Yes, he is. Um. 
Yeah, it's, it's weird to think that like, because I think it was 13, 14 months ago, something like that, when it was like, oh, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving to go to the SEC. Mm-hmm. And basically, once they left, it was like, wow, the Big 12's in trouble. Look how much better she gave the Pac-12's in. And the Pac-12's apparently just peed all that down the side of their legs since yes. then. It's amazing. Yeah. All they all they had to do was not screw up, and somehow they did. And they had, you know, I don't know, pocket aces, and they lost to the Big Twelves seven five off suit. Yeah, I mean, so all of this really kind of stems from Colorado deciding to leave for the Big Twelve. They're re- they're they're going back to the Big Twelve. It's not like this is a a new um, identity for them. If anything. They're going back to where they always should have To be been. fair, I think it really started with Oklahoma and Texas. Sure. To yeah, some it, degree. But yeah, the, the yes. much more, this calendar year, yeah, it started with Colorado. Yes. And I think we could even maybe go back to the fact that for weeks now, we had been hearing leading up into media days, like, okay, when is this Pac-12 media deal going to be presented? What's going to happen here? Like, we're, we got to hear something on this soon. And, you know, their commissioner, who I'm blanking on as well, I'll get uh, I'll get his name. It's like, it, this isn't exactly it. It's like George Kirkaloff or Kakaloff. It's something yes. like that. Yes, yep, uh, Krasinski or, or something like that. Yeah, I, I will get the, the full name. But he kept saying, like, okay, I mean, it's coming. You know, don't don't worry. Everything will be fine. They get to Pac-12 Media Days, and everyone's kind of expecting that that is when the media deal would be announced. He said, no, we don't have it, but it'll be coming in a couple weeks. And at that point, Colorado was like, we don't really know where you're going with this, so we're going to just pack up shop and leave for the Big 12 at the end of the season. So at that point, it's like, okay, like... What is going to happen now here with this conference? Because you're like, okay, it's just Colorado. Colorado didn't do a whole lot for the Pac-12. I mean, it's certainly not in football. And it's a, a Klyovkov. Uh, Klyovkov? George Klyovkov. Something like that. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter. He's the, the commissioner for one more year, and then they're gone. Yeah. So we'll never hear about him ever again after. Yep, George K. We'll just call him George K. There we go. And so Colorado leaves, and you're like, okay, that's not good. And this comes on the heels like San Diego State flirting with the Pac-12 and ultimately not going there because, you know, we already knew that USC and UCLA were leaving and whatnot. And then start to hear murmuring. And so Colorado leaves a couple weeks ago, they declare. And then last week you started hearing like, oh, the Arizona Board of Regents is meeting. Oh, what could this be about? Well, you knew something was happening. And then it's announced that Arizona is going to leave for the Big 12. And then soon after that, Arizona State and Utah decide to jump ship as well. And then the full-on death blow of Oregon and Washington leaving for the for the Big 10 this coming on the heels of earlier Friday, there was optimism that there was going to be some grant of rights or something that that at least nine schools from the Pac-12 were going to sign to stay together as a conference and compete, and they would add a few new schools in there probably, but they were going to stay together. They were going to weather this storm, and I don't know what happened between Friday morning and Friday evening, but the Pac-12 imploded, and yeah, the 
they're essentially done at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about for you. For me, the Arizona leaving, that that was like, oh, this is bad. Yes. It's probably going to disband. Because the way it generally works, and I mean, I'm not an expert on all of this stuff, but that basically, like, you know, the border regions, the governor are in charge of that stuff. With public schools in Arizona and Arizona State, there's not a lot. I mean, there are exceptions. You know, Oklahoma left the Big 12 and Oklahoma State. But generally, it's like, well, if you're going to take one, you've got to take both. Yep. Unless one of them's way, way, you know, better or more marquee than the other, and that's not the case with either of the Arizona schools, really. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, it was like, well, Arizona's leaving, which means Arizona State's going to leave. And I just assumed that Washington and Oregon, if not going to the Big Ten, were going to the Big 12, because after USC and UCLA those were easily the two best brands remaining in the back sure. well. Yes. And no one was knocking. I mean, you would, despite, you know, I mean, clearly geography doesn't matter anymore. And if the Big 12 could only take two, they would have been like, well, yeah, we're going to take Oregon and Washington. That's way better than the two Arizona schools. Mm-hmm. I guess just the timeline is that, you know, diff- going to different conferences. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I heard somewhere, I think, listening to the Athletic Podcast that, like when they first started the TV deal that uh, that George K was saying to all the television uh, people that they wanted like 80% of the amount of money per school that the Big Ten teams were getting. And it's just like, well, that's not going to happen. Because no. people don't care nearly as much about sports out, you know, the West Coast as they do in the heartland. They don't have the, the Midwest. They don't have and, the media markets. I mean, I don't even think TV markets matter as much anymore. I think it's more brand names, but there's just fewer brand names. And, you know, yeah, sure, people care about USC and UCLA, but they're gone. Mm -hmm. So then the only other really ones you can point at is people are like, yes, I want to watch this team. Or Oregon, and depending if they're good that year or not, kind of Washington. And other than that, I mean, sure, you'll watch Stanford if they're ranked in the top 15, but no one cares about a four-four Stanford team. Mm-hmm. Where if Ohio State or Michigan or USC are pouring for, you're still like, well, yeah. I mean, they could turn it around, and I still would be interested in this game. And they just they didn't have. I mean, like I said, they they did not have a good hand at that point, and they did not play it well either. And I mean, it, this is just a much more dramatic version, but it's kind of like 2010 when people thought the Big 12 teams were going to leave for the Pac-12. And it ended up just being Colorado going to the Pac-12 and Nebraska in the Big, in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. But the second you get the like, oh, is the conference going to fall apart? Everyone starts worrying. Well, and you know the Pac-12 schools. And I mean, and I don't blame the Pac-12 schools necessarily. I mean, you can blame USC and UCLA, but after that, it's just like, oh, well, this is a bad deal. We're getting out. Yeah. And I suppose we should credit the Big 12 schools for sticking together. And being like, I don't know, this might not work, but they found a way. Yep. And, you know, I, I don't know if 10 years from now there will still be a Big 12, but they certainly lasted longer into the 21st century than the Pac-12. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I do, th- I think uh, also Missouri and Texas A&M left for the SEC, too. That was part of the Big 12. They did, but that was the group. next year. That was in 2011. Sure. It was Nebraska and Colorado. Yeah. And you know, in uh, twenty. 20- 10 was their last season in the Big 10, or the Big 12. And then 2011 was Missouri and Texas A&M's last year in the Big 12 before going to the SEC. Gotcha. 
so I this Friday to me is just the darkest day uh, of college in college athletics that I can remember in quite some time. I mean, we we saw the implosion of one of a, of a Power Five conference. I was reading some articles or you know some blogs. I don't know. It's just a combination of articles throughout the weekend, and it does sound like the Pac twelve. Uh, Whatever's left of the Pac-12. I mean, I feel really bad for Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. Um, that they just got left in the dust. Like, you know, good luck. Because Oklahoma State, uh, Gundy has said, like, you know, you know what? Oklahoma leaving for the SEC and ends the, the battle at Bedlam. Like, you know what? We're going to focus on our conference right now. You know, they took the rivalry with them. Like that's just the end of it. Now with Oregon, there's one thing I want to do. I do want to say about that is everyone like kisses and moans about that. You can still play teams at non-conference, the ACC and the SEC. Yes, like half of those teams in the season playing against you each could, other. But so I, they, yes. and even like Iowa and Iowa State play early in the year. Yes. So they like this is all their fault. It's like, well, you can blame them for leaving the conference. Obviously, and be upset about that. I, I don't want to take that anger away from. They, they ended this rivalry. It's like, well, no, you guys can still play every year. This is 50-50 now. It's just as much your fault if you're not playing now. Right, but I think they are looking at, like, additional scheduling issues. With You know, they already have certain teams scheduled for for the next few years. Like, it's not going to be an every-year type rivalry. I mean, if you're... Th- sure, but only because they me. are pissing and motivating about it. Sure. I mean, they, this is something where we easily... They're here. Maybe this is the... This should be like my big picture takeaway. I don't know about you, but you know we're, we're both obviously in our thirties now. Yep. This is not to say we're geniuses or savants of the world by any means, but there's you're just more aware of things as you get older than when you're fifteen or sixteen and haven't been around as long. Yep. I don't know about you. I, I remember for so long, like I remember hearing about how smart Jim Delaney was with the Big Ten, and I think that may be true. But I think all the time we just assume all these people and, you know, whether it's athletic directors or college presidents or even like politicians and some of those things are just like, wow, this this guy or this lady has this job. They must really be smart. Mm-hmm. And some of them are, but a lot of them, I think, are dumb as hell, too, yes. or incompetent or maybe not even dumb, just aren't anything special. And they're just normal people. Yeah. And, that, you know, and. And this is not to say that I could do any of this stuff better by any means. But you look at the last two Pac-12 commissioners and some of the presidents making choices and athletic directors making choices. It's just like, well, you guys aren't that smart either. Well, look, I mean, yeah, look at what, these, these are the people that are running things. A lot of them are just, you know, fives. And it's just like, what do you, I don't know how you got this job. I guess by not upsetting the right people. Yep. I mean, look and at unfortunately, USC. this is kind of where where things are right now. Look at USC and their athletic director. I mean, they've had they've gone through the gamut on football. Like I think they had even fired their athletic director because he was kind of an ass yeah. at Cincinnati. USC loves hiring people who've never been athletic directors right. before. Yes. Like, this guy used to play football here. He's good on TV. Let's make him our athletic director. It's like, well, those skills. Aren't the same. Was that Lynn I Swan, mean, right? Like my father's a girl. It was. I, I mean, he's retired now. But my father was a doctor. I wouldn't be like, "Hey, Dad, be a plumber and fix the toilet." Now, <laughs> like that's a different skill set. Yeah. Yep. No. I absolutely. But I just look at at Friday is is a, a very dark day for college athletics. A yeah. Power Five conference. Yeah, I, I agree. It was. Yeah. A Power Five conference implodes. And like I said, I, I read some articles over the weekend. 
sounds like maybe the Mountain West and the, the rest of the Pac-12 teams could consolidate and, and join one another in a conference. Like the Mountain West teams would absorb into the Pac-12 to keep the Pac-12 power conference, uh, and the, like the rights and everything like that, keep the like a potential bull bit or uh, like a playoff bid and stuff. That's what was mentioned. I don't know if that's going to happen now because I saw a report now on Monday that the ACC is looking at Cal and Stanford. And at the end of the day, like I'm blaming the conferences in large part for this, but also the TV networks like ESPN and Fox, uh, I would guess to a lesser extent, CBS and NBC. Uh, I, I think Fox and ESPN are the ones that have really wrecked this with the media deals and everything. But to be fair, Fox and Disney. I mean, it's Disney, Disney sure. that's in charge of all that. Yeah, sure. Disney has plenty of other dumb stuff. But too, ESPN so. is going to. I think Disney's going to kind of cut ESPN off here at some point. But you're right. Yes, Disney. Disney as a whole, uh, you know, runs ESPN at least for now. But th- they're the ones that set this kind of thing in motion, and the and then the conferences are like, yeah, we got to go do this. And at the end of the day, it's all football that's driving this because of the revenue that it generates for all these schools and athletic departments. And the big losers in all of this, I believe, are the fans because I don't know about you. I don't care. I don't want USC or UCLA or Oregon or Washington in the Big Ten. I think it does a huge disservice. One, it makes uh, like Minnesota and Nebraska's chances of winning a little more difficult. Plus all the travel to and from. And Honestly, the student-athletes are going to really suffer, and the main ones are going to be like baseball and softball that aren't the... Oh, uh, it's everybody or, except football. Football's the easy one. Right. The road trips are only one a week. Right, and then basketball is to a lesser extent, but it's it's the... They're, they're still revenue-generating, just not as high as football, but it's the baseball, the softball, the, the soccer, the, the whatever, uh, like track and field, whatever... Oh, Rutgers has to fly all the way out to Eugene now, or UCLA is flying out to College Park, Maryland. I mean, for baseball, it doesn't make any sense. So the student athletes are going to get jobbed here, and then oh, we have to fly cross country and then go to class the next day. This is—it's all stupid. They don't give a shit about student athletes. These schools don't. These conferences don't. And, and if they can't say it, they could maybe say it like last week or a couple weeks ago, and I would maybe believe it. Now, I, no, it's not about the student-athletes. You don't give a, sh- a flying fuck about them. It's all about the money, and they've just destroyed, I would say a lot, and I've heard this phrase mentioned a lot, the pageantry of college football. The it, It's now all about the money, and now we're going to try and manufacture some of these new conferences and rivalries and so no it's not there for all intents and purposes college football as we know it is dead and maybe died a couple years ago when all of this really started going into motion and of course nil kind of has thrown a, a wrench into everything here but no these call co- i'm just i'm disgusted by it and i i mentioned this to you when i was texting you earlier that like, I'm going to try and enjoy this season right now, this final season of the Pac-12 and, you know, as of the, you know, the Big 12 and the Big 10, everything like that. Then after like 2024, I can't, I can't say for certain, I'm not trying to be a prisoner of the moment, 
But I do think my You've never been prisoner of the moment I know. before, Sasha. I know, I know. This, so that, I'm sorry. I hope you were sitting down for that. I just don't know right now if my interest level is going to be the same here moving forward because I don't like the way all of this has come together and these new power conferences that will be as of 2024. Okay, you made a lot of points there. Yeah, I know. The, I, I uh, rambled. The biggest one of college football dying, I think it's never going to be dead. I think the, yep. depending on how you want to look at this, whether that's good or bad, I think college football is, if not now, within five years, is just going to be like college basketball for most people, where no one pays attention to the regular season. And then they watch the playoff at the end of the year, and that does bonkers ratings and makes a lot of money for everyone. But nobody knows what happens in the middle of October because they're like, yeah, we don't care. So all that is, matters. So is all that, that matters is the playoff at the end of the year. Don't care about the regular season. But, but, so but, that depends what you are. I mean, if you're a diehard college football fan, that's probably bad. If you're a casual sports fan and you like the NFL and the NBA more and just kind of like college football, and you're like, oh, hey, all I have to do is watch – 12-team playoff, then that maybe is better for you. I mean, I should say, I used to really like college basketball. I don't tune into college basketball until the conference tournaments start, for the most part now. Sure. And I don't know that I'm going to do that for college football, but, you know, five years ago, I would have said, well, there's no way that'll ever happen. Right. And now I'm like, I don't think that'll happen, but it's it's 25% more likely than it was five years ago. Yep. Yep. So your point on the ratings is a good one because now, but is that ultimately the best for college football to have no one pay attention to the games? Like, because again, football different than basketball, where basketball you have at least two games a week, football you just have one. If no one's paying attention leading up to it, and because there are fewer teams in the in the playoff, fewer games than March Madness. Are you going to get the maximum set of eyeballs? Is that ultimately good for the sport? Is that going to generate the most revenue? Again, it depends. It just depends if all you care about is what the the ratings for the playoff are. I mean, I would tell you that most people don't watch college basketball in the regular season. And if they do, it's only once like the NFL and college football is done with. Yep. Yep. I mean, I'm, when I say that, I don't mean like literally nobody. Right. I just mean it doesn't do that well yes. ratings-wise compared to 20 years ago. Partially Absolutely just because there's more stuff on now. Yep. Absolutely I mean, agree. there wasn't Twitter and TikTok 20 years ago. And there's cord cutting, alone, too. You know, back then, in 20 years ago, a few people had TiVo, and that was rare. Now everybody has you know, a DVR or YouTube TV or whatever. And yes. you just be like, well, I'm going to watch this whenever I want now. Yep. Nope, I, I agree with that. And cord cutting is a thing of it too. But I wonder, you know, like NBC now has gotten the Big Ten, is in on the Big Ten. CBS now is going to the Big Ten. Travis and I talked about this a few weeks ago about, like, you know, I think it's a big loss for CBS to lose the SEC. Because, yes, even though you had a few, you know, a few dominant teams like Alabama, LSU, you know, Florida, Georgia... You know, you still had your 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 bottom feeders in the conference, like a Vanderbilt and Missouri, uh, South Carolina teams that just didn't do a whole lot. 
Now you go to the Big Ten, everyone's kind of got to get used to that. But really outside of Ohio State, Michigan, and maybe Penn State, what's there to really like about the Big Ten? Now, yes, you're bringing USC and UCLA in and Oregon and Washington, but it's still going to, for some people, it's going to be like, well, they aren't really true Big Ten people. But, you know, if you look at it five years down the line, if people aren't caring about the regular season, NBC and CBS are throwing a ton of money at the Big Ten to be the exclusive partner because there will be no games on ESPN here, I believe, after this year. Or maybe it, maybe they were done last year and maybe that's how it's going forward. So, to me, if I'm NBC and CBS, I'm like, hey, wait a second. Like, if, if things don't, if ratings aren't good five years down the line, they're going to be like, hey, what the hell is this? This is not what we signed up for. And I think then that could eventually backfire against the conferences if as you are you know forecasting or perhaps predicting that that's what could happen in five years that ratings drop until the college football playoff well NBC and CBS aren't a part of that that's entirely ESPN and even Fox isn't part of that I think you could see a real uh real uproar then from those networks and that's gonna in in return uh, negatively impact the, the conferences, potentially. I mean, it very well could. I mean, as we know, bubbles keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until they burst. And as they keep giving the, you know, I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know here, but, you know, since the only thing people watch live anymore, for the most part, are sporting events, mm-hmm. those are the only things that networks, you know, glom onto, saying we have to have this. This is the only way people are going to watch our commercials is if we've got this live sporting event on and you know if people watch fewer regular season games then that's even more so and they're like well we can't pay yeah we can't pay conferences and teams this much money anymore and then that bursts too and you've got even more problems and uh, i like i don't know what's gonna happen i think that you know i remember reading somewhere that you know like the last round of realignment 12 or 13 years ago that tv households and tv markets was the big thing mm-hmm and then at the next one, a lot of people thought it would just be like the brands, like what brands are most likely to generate three to five million people watching, you know, teams like Ohio State and Alabama and Notre Dame and Clemson. And there's just not that many of those. Yep. And if you, I, I mean, I honestly, I'm to the point now that I think that we're just going to get what people have kind of maybe thought what would happen 10 years ago and joked about. But I mean, I think we're just basically going to get two large conferences with 20 to 30 teams in them. Yep. And then there will be kind of like another level in between FBS and FCS, and that will be everybody else, and then there will probably still be the FCS stuff, and it will just be like, well, if you're one of these 30 teams, you'll probably be on TV a lot, and people will watch your games, and, you know, everyone will be really good, so unless you're a national title contender – It'll be like the NFL. You'll have a lot of teams that are like, well, you know, they're good than these lower-level teams, but they're going to go four and eight most years because everybody else is so good now. And I don't know. It, we could get me. I don't know if I really ever thought any of that would actually happen until the last year or so, and especially the last couple of weeks. And 
I, I don't know. Don't some get, of this is just, I guess some of this for both of us is probably just therapy right now. Yeah. Talking out the way some of this is going to maybe go. I don't think I need to tell you that I hate change. I think you probably know that about me. Or maybe if not, then I've just uh, unveiled something about myself, revealed a, a big thing. I don't like change. For it the takes, most part, I don't like change either. So I, I totally get what you It takes me a while to like get adjusted to this. I don't think this is something that I can get adjusted to or that I really want to. It's not something that I think is good overall for the sport. There are too many negatives to me here that completely outweigh the positives, the pros that, you know, these that these conferences think of. Um and you know, just kind of going back to the Pac-12 and the media rights deal, if Apple was Apple streaming was the big hitch here, like why wouldn't you try and you know, keep ESPN as part of the deal. Keep Fox as part of the deal. Maybe try and get CBS in to broadcast a game or two as well. Don't use, like, Apple's... I mean, do you want the answer for that? It's because George K. wasn't good at his job. Well, I, he was yeah. bad at it. Yeah. And, is, and they're screwed because of it now. He was incompetent. And now, look, I mean, and maybe this would have happened anyways because of the problems from the previous regime with Larry Scott. But, mm-hmm. I mean... Any, any chance to resuscitate things, you know, it was like, I don't know, it can't be worse. Like, you always have to be careful with what you wish for. Everyone was saying, well, the next guy can't be worse than Larry Scott. It was like, well, I don't know, I think he might have been. Yeah, well, so if you were to say, hey, we're, we're looking into the streaming, because that's, I think, a large part, too, where everyone's going to. NBC's going, you know, has Peacock, CBS has Paramount, Fox has you know, Hulu or, you know, Fox Sports app, whatever. If Pac-12 wanted to go with Apple, kind of makes sense. You know, Apple, large corporation out there in the state of Washington. But why would you say that's going to be our sole source of revenue? Like, why wouldn't you say, you know what, we're going to have these deals with ESPN and Fox, but we're also going to have a major streaming rights deal with Apple. And maybe that's what was laid out, but that wasn't how it was reported. It was just Apple is going to be our major source of revenue. It's like you need more than just apple so if that wasn't conveyed or if they just if they couldn't figure out a way to strike a deal with espn or fox because what would esp espn i would think would have beckoned or begged to try and get pac-12 with them losing the big 10 i mean we need pac-12 after dark on espn we need that 10 30 p.m eastern washington state ucla game to keep us up at night uh, on saturday night Good news, bad news. I'll start with the good news. The good news is you'll still get Pac-12 after dark. It just won't be specifically Pac-12 teams. But Oregon and USC are still going to play at 10 o'clock at night, our time, all the time now. It'll just be the conferences and, you know, Fox or ABC or whatever. Yeah. Just being like, well, yeah, this is just going to be our late game. You know, yeah, it'll be a Big 12 or a Big 10 game technically, but... You know, yeah. So it won't officially be Pac-12 after dark, but we'll still get those games. Yeah. Um, the other thing, the on uh, why Apple. This is another thing. Listening to the Athletic podcast with uh, Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman. I don't remember which one of them said this, but but the one who talked about you know George K wanting eighty percent per school of what the Big Ten's getting is that apparently that's what they told, I don't remember if it was ESPN or which network. And they and apparently they just scoffed at that, like the way, you know, that it was so ridiculous. It was like, oh, we're not bargaining as like adults here. This is like us bargaining with a five-year-old 
So they lowballed them, just being like, well, yeah, you clearly don't know what you're doing. And I think he went to, to Apple out of desperation because he didn't play his cards right with the big networks, and that was the only one left. Well, and they mean, didn't get a great deal from Apple. And even if they would have, it wouldn't have been good because who out west is going to be like, I have to sign up for another streaming service now? I mean, he even I, not that I know everyone's you know, television yeah. outputs out west. But assuming it's similar to the rest of the country, they're like, well, you know, I've got Netflix and I've maybe got one other. I don't want to have to sign up for another one and have to pay more just to watch my Pac-12 teams. And, you know, it was it was a bad idea, and that's ultimately, to a degree, why their conference is probably going to fall. I don't know why he would think, like, oh, I'm going to try and get as much as, like, the SEC or the ACC or, you know, even the Big Ten, even though ESPN doesn't have the Big Ten anymore. But just, like, try and get a reasonable offer. Don't go in and say, you know, we're, we know you're desperate to have us. Like, if anything, the Pac-12 needs ESPN more than ESPN does. But I think it was, there was a, it was a mutual exclusiveness. Like, hey, we need, we need each other. We need each other in this time of need because we don't have the Big Ten. You clearly need a network. Let's work out a reasonable number. And the Pac-12 was probably too greedy. And... <laughs> It's same with Fox. Like you gotta make out, you gotta figure out some way to, to you know have Fox. Like yes, Fox is putting all their the, eggs the in. The Pac-12 the- was so dumb. It might not have even been too greedy. It might have just been that they didn't understand like exchange rates. That they were like, oh, I don't know what that is in the end. That sounds bad, and it's like, well, actually, this isn't as bad as you thought it was, and they're just that dumb. Yeah, and that we yes. have horrible incompetent leadership, bad stuff happens. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, like I said, I mean, for all the jokes about the problems with the Big 12, I don't know if the Big 12's conference commissioner, I forget what his name is, Yeoman or something like that. Yeah. I don't know if he's good. He's clearly not as bad as the Pac-12 guy, though. Well, somehow and sometimes he's... just not being the least incompetent person is all it takes. Well, let me ask you this, because this has been an argu- argument that is, or a point that has tried to, come about what I've seen in a couple different places. But uh, the fact that you lose Oklahoma and Texas, but you gain seven schools now, or eight schools really, with UCF, BYU, Houston, uh, Central Florida, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. Is that a, that is technically a net positive for the Big 12 in terms of schools, but is it a net positive overall for them and as a whole as a conference losing the two big brands like texas and oklahoma and gaining you know these eight others so you gain six different brands in total but you lose arguably your biggest brand so is it a net positive or is it still negative for what the big 12 has done overall how do you see that i think it's still a net negative i mean let's spin it this way yeah you're a Vikings fan, and you've got Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. Yep. So let's put it this way. Would you rather have Patrick Mahomes right now, or would you rather have a whole bunch of guys who will make two all-pro teams throughout their career at, you know, linebacker and safety and stuff? We're like, well, yeah, that's good. I mean, it's nice to have those, but I would rather have the Hall of Fame guy who's the best at what they do. Yes. Yep. Not that Oklahoma or Texas are the two best programs in college football. But historically, they're in the top ten. They might be in the Oklahoma is definitely in the top five. Texas might be in the top five, but it's certainly in the top ten. And I think it's not good losing those. I mean, they. I think for 
for where they are, it's not as bad as it could have been. They've picked up enough decent schools that they're at least okay for now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, with the hand they had, I think they basically did as, as good of a job as they could have done. Yes, yes agreed. But agreed. you're always going to be better having the major, major schools. I mean... I completely agree with you. It would, completely it would be like if, if the Big Ten lost Ohio State Michigan but gained half those schools that the Big Ten, or that the Big 12 just did. It would be like, well, yeah... I mean, that's something. It's better than nothing, but we would much rather have the two that everybody turns to watch whenever it's the fourth quarter at 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday. Yep. No, I, I, for the record, I agree with you. I had just seen that point be made like, well, the Big 12 has done really well. Like, overall, it's great. It's like, eh, not really considering you're losing your arguably your two biggest schools there. Brett Yormark is the Big 12 commissioner. And also, now I just wonder, like, what is what is UCF thinking? What is, uh, like, you know, to a lesser extent, Houston, BYU, and um, Cincinnati, they're more... But I'm just thinking, like, UCF and West Virginia. Now, could they maybe be poached by, like, say, the ACC? It makes far more sense for UCF now to maybe join the ACC or, you know, God forbid, the SEC at some point. Um, because it's more geographically centered for them, like I, I just wonder. Clearly, that doesn't matter anymore. Well, that's right now, that's very based true. Based off the last year and a half. Yep. I, I just, mean, now, now I two just, or three years from now, we may see that some teams or like or schools are like, actually, we don't like this anymore. Yeah. That, but it, up to now, I mean, well, I mean, Colorado left, but I don't think they left the Pac-12 because of geography. I think right. that was because they were worried about it imploding. But, yeah. but I mean, I, I would. If I'm being completely honest, I think that UCF and Cincinnati, they may not love all the other schools joining too, but I think they're just happy that they have a white draft. They do. And yep. that they're in one of the major conferences now. I don't think they probably care that much. Uh, probably like we not. Were one of, especially Cincinnati, who was in the Big East slash AAC, and they had one of the automatic spots and then lost it. Yep. I think Cincinnati's just glad that they're in the big boy conference again now. I, I agree. I'm just wondering, like, if West Virginia and UCF, to me, those are the two schools that, for me, make the most sense to potentially be poached by, say, the ACC or the SEC. Like, the, to me, it just makes more sense to go after those schools. If, if they, if, and especially UCF, if they're like, hey, we joined this league because we're like, hey, we can make up the Big 12. And now all of a sudden you're adding these other schools. Like, we don't feel quite as special. Maybe we want to go to a conference that we're, where we're wanted. And maybe we don't feel quite as wanted in the Big 12 as we would in, say, the ACC. The ACC, I could maybe see it to a degree, especially, I mean, I don't know, Florida State thinks they are found a way to get out of that grant of rights deal. Right. And maybe they have, but I mean, and I don't want to stereotype schools too much. I find it unlikely that Florida State has the best lawyers in the ACC. Right. And if the other schools can't find a way out of it, I doubt party school Florida State is like, no, actually, we have the best lawyers. Like, that seems far-fetched. I agree. Um, and I don't think – we may not be done with conference realignment, like you said, if Florida State goes. And, I'm you know, we could see SEC try and poach, you know, Miami and, and perhaps Clemson, it, UNC. That was the other thing I was going to say. I don't think the SEC is taking group of five schools or we just left the group of five to go to a big conference. I think the SEC, like the Big Ten now, is basically like, no, we only want – the big big names so yeah. like yeah the sec i think would only care about like 
you know, Florida State and Miami and Clemson, or I mean, I don't think Notre Dame would go to the SEC, no. or but or Notre Dame, or you know, teams like that. I right. don't think that they're they care about. Well, I mean, at, at least now you about add, Cincinnati or UCF in five or ten years, maybe. But I would think you would add UNC to the SEC only from the basketball standpoint. But then, once you also want Duke as part of that, I mean, are you going to solely base this off of football or? It, which uh, obviously that's I mean, where it's based off the last fifteen years. I think yeah, they yes. just, it's only off the football. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, God forbid, I, Missouri go back to the Big Twelve, but I know they won't because the SEC gives them a boat ton of money. So that's kind of where we're. And at. That's the other fun thing is like look at everybody that's. I mean, I'm not talking group of five schools who have gone up. So I mean, I'm not including Utah or you know Cincinnati going to the Big Twelve. Uh, actually, that's not a good example because they start this year. But not the schools who went from a have-not to a have. But look at the, all the schools going from one Power 5 conference to another. Like, who's really done that well since then? I mean, I think Nebraska financially has done well, but it's not done well on the field. Right. The Colorado's only had one winning season. Yeah. Missouri's worst. I mean, I know Missouri made two SEC title games, I think, fairly early on. Which is still but astounding. other than that, it's been middle of the road at best. Yep. And so I think there's also a lot of that is they think, oh, wow, we're going to make all this money. And then you go in and you have new recruiting grounds. Some of your old recruiting grounds dry up. You have to learn everything. And people just don't care as much about you in a new conference. And it's like, oh, well, I don't know. This actually isn't as, I mean, we're making a lot more money, but it's not as much fun being here now. Right. No, I, I agree. Um, but we'll see how it all well, how it all pans out. I would think that the Big 12 would almost have to go to like four different divisions or three divisions um, and, you know, kind of split it out in the West, the Central, and then the East. But we'll see how that all pans out. Um, so the Big, the, the Pac-12, the remaining Pac-12 teams, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. At least as of now, those are the remaining four. We'll, we'll see. You know, like I said, there's a report that maybe the ACC is looking to get Cal and Stanford, which is big because Stanford provides a lot of sports that aren't revenue based, but that generate a lot of Olympians, like rowing and you know, golf is a big one there. Like they, yeah, do, if you look at the, uh, I forget what the Learfield Cup, the one that's just who wins the most in every sport. Yep. Stanford wins that almost every year. They have the number one. The downside athletic... though is that if they don't have all this money from conferences, right, or conference TV money, they might not be able to have all those other conferences. Exactly, and have to fold, or at least I shouldn't say fold. But get rid of some of those, or maybe they end up just getting rid of football and being like, "Well, we're going to go down to FCS, or I mean, not FCS, but like we're just going to get rid of football, so we can spend all this on these other sports." Man, I mean, I, I I don't know. And apparently, Cal's the most bankrupt athletic department in the in the country. So Stanford certainly, getting produce... less money is not going to be good for them. Stanford... If they're bad with a lot of money, I don't think they're going to be good with less money. Right. Stanford is ranked the number one athletic department, I think, or like the best athletic department in the country. They generate a lot of Olympians, so this could ultimately affect the Olympics here down the line. It by you know severing Stanford's ties here with the Pac-12. Do you see those four schools? And the Mountain West, do you see that as any any likelihood happening where the Mountain West dissolves in name only and you add, uh, like, you combine the Pac-12 and the Mountain yeah, West? Sans you, you Hawaii. Basically, the Mountain West takes the Pac-12 schools, but they call it the Pac-12. Yes, yes. That's what I would do because, 
I mean, in 2023, brands matter, except if you're Elon Musk and don't understand that changing the name of Twitter to X was a stupid-ass decision. Well, he's, he has, name, one good, 12, name one good decision that Elon Musk has made with Twitter slash X. Exactly. But <laughs> the, whether you call it, you know, the Pac-8, the Pac-10, the Pac-12, the Pac-18, it's always going to have more, or I mean, the talent folds. It's always going to have more name brand than the Mountain West. So I think they're. I think that's what they should do. Is the, assuming that those Pac-12 schools, those four, don't go to somewhere else and just the Mountain West absorbs them. I would say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to call it the Pac-12. We can keep a lot of stuff the same, but clearly George K is not the commissioner anymore because he's terrible at his job. I don't know who the Mountain West commissioner is, but feel he's at least better than George K. Yep. So that's that. You know, but that's what I would do because I would be like. We're going to take in the Pac-12 schools. We're going to call it the Pac-12 for the name recognition. We're going to get rid of the horribly stupid conference commissioner. And then we'll just go from there and see what we can do. I would also, and try to be the best group of five conference each year. I would also get rid of Hawaii uh, and make let them go independent. Uh, like an Army, uh, Notre Dame, uh, UMass... UConn, let them let them go because they're in the Big West for basketball. Uh, they they are having issues with their stadium. They're making a new one, but I mean it, it takes a while. Just get rid of Hawaii from the Mountain West. Let them go independent and just focus on the inland. Like I do like that you spent all this time about like no conferences have to stay together and don't do this and what's happening and now you're like yeah but you got to get rid of Hawaii. Hawaii can't be in the conference. Anymore. I'm just saying like for. Yeah, I know, I know. That's a that's a, a hypocritical point that I. If you want made. more hypocritical stuff, how much fun is it that uh, all these conferences and presidents and athletic directors are like, no, players can't get money. NIL's bad for sports. Then they're like, but actually, we're going to dissolve these conferences. Well, then you see, you know, like, we can make way more TV money now. Like, like, don't don't do what we do. Do as we say, not as we do. We're going to make all this money, but but you guys aren't allowed to make it. Jimbo Fisher was uh, said something today about, oh, it's clear like the dollars, you know, like everyone's just cares about money and stuff. And, like you left Florida yeah. State for Texas A and M and got paid a shit ton of money. So like, don't don't talk about that. One last thing on this here, um, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban said this, re- referring to the NFL, like if it, this was probably a decade ago or so, maybe maybe a little less than that, when he was talking about the NFL, maybe like the the pig, the slaughtered pig, or the, the, the pig's going to get too fat and it's going to eventually get slaughtered. I think that's what's happened now in college sports, specifically college football, or that's what it will get to here in a few years. If, as you say, like, you know, people are just going to care I, about. The- I think you're right. I think that there's going to be apathy among fans and it's going to end with the schools that have been like, wow, we're in a good spot, like Purdue and Vanderbilt that they're going to be the ones that are going to get hosed over in five or 10 or 15 years or right. whatever the next round is. And season. then you may see a new conference form with those teams, but that's where I, I think, you know, the, 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 the fatted pig is getting too fat and eventually it's going to have, it's going to get slaughtered And college football as we like in five years could potentially be slaughtered and not be what, you know, they were hoping it would be as a result of all this conference realignment. Um, but we'll see what happens there. So Mark Cuban may be right. It just wasn't the right type of – It was he was referring to the NFL. It was really college football that he should have been talking about. Prior to all this conference realignment nonsense, 
There was another huge story that dominated the college football atmos- uh, landscape here of, like a month ago. Not even now, like nearly we've forgotten about what happened at Northwestern. So I just would like to get your thoughts on the whole saga that happened there at Northwestern. Seems like the Big Ten is having some issues here with some of their uh, um, teams, you know, like Penn State, you know, uh, you know, you know, Patino or you know, the Bobby Patrino, whatever, you know, that whole um, issue in the '70s with Sandusky and whatnot. But now you have hazing here at Northwestern, and it's just. It's just a bad, ugly thing here, and it seems like it's expanded to other um, programs within Northwestern. So the athletic department uh, is has no; they have a lot of issues that they have to deal with. But just what were your thoughts on that whole Northwestern um, scandal and how that all plays out? First off, as a Nebraska fan, I feel obligated to say, um, in 2020, when Nebraska wanted to still play football and go. And uh, Michael Wilbon and Desmond Howard and all these guys were like, oh, my God, Nebraska, that's atrocious. You're the worst people ever for trying to sue the conference to play football. You should be kicked out. And I find it interesting that no one wants to kick Northwestern out or these other schools that do things that are way, way worse. I know when I first heard about it, I didn't know any of the details. It was just like, oh, hazing stuff, you know, obviously incorrectly. My first thought was like, eh, probably not that bad. People shouldn't be that worked up about it. Just because some freshman had to carry pads out, that's not that big of a deal. And then you read what it actually was, and it's like, oh, that is really bad. And they shouldn't have done it. And, you know, you can debate whether uh, Pat Fitzgerald knew about it or not, but whether he did or didn't, it happened under his watch for a long, long, long time. And, like, it's bad enough that it's like, well, I don't know if it's worse if he knew about it, let it happen, or didn't know about it, let it fester for that long and was just that oblivious to what was going on. I mean, either way, I'm not surprised that they got rid of him for it. I mean, I agree. I mean, like, I think as times change, you know, there's some things you can get away with 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. I even think 20 years ago, if they knew all of that, would have been like, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. You're probably going to be fired. And definitely now, obviously, if they did fire him. Um, it's I, I I don't remember the details about all of it, but like making freshmen go through like naked showers and stuff, and it's just like, well, that's not yeah, performing like, sexual that's weird. acts. I don't like think you should do that. That's bad. Yep, it's called something called running, where like the like uh, like eight or nine like upperclassmen players or something would perform a sexual act on on a freshman and stuff. It's just nasty. It's, yeah, it's, it's criminal. Bad. Oh, Charlie? Nope. Still oh, there? Yeah, yes, yep, yep, still there. Okay. I was just saying, it, it, it's criminal what the, what took place. Yeah. So, I like, and now you got the North Dakota State defensive coordinator who was hired from NDSU this offseason to take over North uh, Northwestern's defense. Now, he's the interim head coach, but I don't see Northwestern, like, this is a one-win program. It's not like they had a whole lot going for them. Here and how Pat Fitzgerald has gotten all this goodwill and something. That guess that's what you get when uh, you turn Northwestern into a semi-competent program. And with that competency comes this nonsense. And now he's out. Now I just uh, Northwestern is going to take a long time to recover from this. I think you're right. I, I, I definitely think you're right on all of that. And with Fitzgerald, I, I mean, we can find this all throughout human 
history, not just in sports, but in politics and leaders too. I mean, if people are like charismatic, like Pat Fitzgerald is, and people like him, you're just like, oh, well, I mean, this guy's a good guy. And a lot of times they're not good guys, and it's hard to tell. And, you know, I mean, we see it with players too. I mean, we're just like, wow, this guy's a good guy. And then someone gets in trouble for something really heinous. And it's like, oh, I guess we didn't know this person after all. Who would have known when we only watch him play sports on TV that they do other things besides that? Yeah. And you just, I was kind of disappointed to, like, I wanted to hear more from the Michael Wilbons, the J.A. Adondes, the Kevin Blackestones, the, the Mike Greenbergs about this. And I had, like, Wilbon said a few things, but I didn't hear a whole lot from everyone else. It's like, you know what? You're you're touting how great Northwestern is, and then this happens. I guess at the end of the day, the best thing about this was that the story all was completely broken by Northwestern University's student newspaper. So journalism's still alive and well. That's got to bring a smile to your face working in That's the true. newspaper That's true. I do industry. like that. So, yeah, very good. So that's... All in a nutshell, kind of what's happened in the offseason here. Any other thoughts on uh, the college football offseason here or anything else before we kind of get before we get into our season preview? I mean, it's never too early to panic. I mean, you can panic about all sorts of stuff with the way college sports are right now. You can. You can absolutely do that. Um, let's, uh, let's start with our preview here. We're going to do the Big 12, uh, the Independents, so just Notre Dame, and then we'll just touch on the other non-power fights with the American, the Mountain West, the the MAC, the Sun Belt, Conference USA. I think I got them all um, in there. Where, where do you want to start first? I mean, I feel like we should start with the Big 12. Okay, that's very very good. Um, I mean, it's the only power conference we're doing. Yes. I mean, unless you want to start with Notre Dame first, but I, I would say either Notre Dame or the well, let, let's go with the Big 12 here, because also one of the storylines that's come out here in recent weeks is this big gambling kind of scandal uh, involving Iowa State athletics, uh, Iowa athletics, uh, the Iowa State quarterback, Dreckers. I mean, he's... he's Hunter Deckers. Hunter Deckers, yeah. Sorry. Who's from Deckers. our coverage area, so... I mean, I don't personally know him, but yeah, he uh, went to high school. Yeah, uh, Hunter Deckers. Which is the school we covered. Not going to, uh, what was the school name? Um, I'm sorry? West Sioux West is Sioux. the name of the school because it's in Western Sioux County. That makes sense. Well, he's not going to be playing football for them this year. He's got a lot of uh, legal issues that he's going to have to do. Technically, I think he's not been kicked off the team as of now. Not but yet. Not, but I mean, unless that's changed in the last... 12 hours or no, so. But, but he has stepped it, away. He's, he's, it's all alleged at this point, but obviously from the outside looking at it, it does not look great. I mean, if I was a betty, uh, I should say that. That was, that was not no pun intended when I said that. Poor <laughs> I know, I like it. Poor choice of words. That was not on purpose. No, no. I, I would it, say, but I would, I mean, if you course. were uh, from an outsider's perspective, I think the most likely scenario would be whether it's true or not that it's bad enough and it looks bad enough that he's probably not going to be playing for Iowa State ever again. And it's not and just, then it'll just depend if he drops down or he was really good. I mean, he's a left-handed kid who was a really good high school baseball player and was yeah. a pitcher. I mean, I don't know if he's a good enough 
athlete now at 20 or 21 or at all, whatever, to switch to baseball. I mean, I don't know that, but I suppose that it would be an option too. And it's not just football. This, you know, was like involved a wrestler, I think some baseball or basketball players. Uh, I think a basketball player from Iowa. Certainly there was a, there's a guy in uh, with the Denver Broncos now. He used to play at Iowa State, uh, defensive lineman. He's been suspended for the whole year by the NFL or suspended indefinitely. For gambling, um, I think there was an Iowa walk-on kicker that bet the under for Iowa games, which is so smart. Like that's that's yeah. putting an education to use right there. Yeah, I mean, you should be commended for that, not penalized. I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, but that's the part. That's what's kind of difficult. I assume you have the Phil Steele book this year, right? I do, and I I got the Athlon Sports uh, magazine here for the college football season. And that's uh, some of the issue here with these magazines and and these books that get published is that new information comes out while these are on the newsstands. And so some of the projections are off a little bit. Like I'm looking here and I see Iowa State projected at six and six. I could maybe see that if, if Deckers were playing, you know, being the starting quarterback. Now with that, it's like, I like, I almost, I, I think I've pegged Iowa State to uh, be three and nine or four and eight this year. I'll pull it up here with what I have now. But uh, like, I, like that is I think a significant blow losing your likely starting quarterback for that. So that's some of the issues that you get with some of these magazines. There's injuries and other things that come out after publication here, where you're looking through all this, like oh I kind of like this team, and then you find out oh wait this happens. Like ah son of a gun. Yeah, it's, I, I, I remember first noticing that five or six years ago, and it seems like it just happens more often now. I don't know if that's – maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. But, yeah, it's on, it's it's always unfortunate when, you know – and this is just coming from a newspaper guy who, you know, our, we print once a week. I and mean, we've got more than one paper, I guess. But the big one that just prints once a week, that there's times it's just like, well – we printed this, and then something changed on Sunday, and mm-hmm. there's nothing we can do because we printed on late Friday night slash early Saturday morning. So the Big 12 has four new schools this year. Oklahoma and Texas are still in it for one more year, and I I think you saw it last year. There is a lot of hostility whenever they would go on the road, and I think that's only going to be amplified this year for both Texas and Oklahoma so that's an interesting storyline to watch. But out of the four new schools that are making their Big 12 debuts, BYU, Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati, which of those teams do you think is best set up for success in the Big 12 this year and potentially moving forward? This year, I think it's probably UCF. Agreed. I might have said Cincinnati if Luke Fickle had stayed. But mm-hmm. With all the guys that left, if Luke Fickle going, I mean, I, I, and I guess I don't remember who their new coach is off the top of my head. But uh, I think uh, Scott Satter, uh, uh, Satterfield. He uh, went from Louisville to Cincinnati. Okay, that's right. That's right. I do remember that now. And they may end up being okay in the future, but I think Luke Fickle is pretty good, and they are very much going to miss him. But I think I think UCF is the most ready and also just basically runs the right offense in the Big 12 anyways right now. I mean, although as I say that, you know, BYU and Utah will change things a little bit with what they do when Utah officially joins. But 
But I think UCF is the best fit right now. Long term, and even though they may not be great this year, I do feel like it's probably still Houston, just because. Sure. I mean, obviously it's more complicated than this, but Houston and Texas as a whole, I mean, obviously care about football. And when you're like, hey, guess what? Our city is the fourth biggest in the U.S. and may pass Chicago in a few years, I don't know, and is unlike New New York City and Chicago, like really care about high school football, that your thought is just like, hey, guess what? If we're in a power conference and we can keep half of the best guys in our city home, that's a pretty good place to start. So that would be why I would say Houston long-term would be the best of the four new ones. And I I think that's a, a valid point. I think for, I mean, for Central Florida here, you're still going to recruit the guys from Florida. I don't think like this, you know, I, I think sometimes when you move to a new conference, it might change how you recruit. I, I don't think it changes. certainly won't yeah. change for Houston. It, I, think, I, I think it really changes for schools like if it would be Nebraska or Minnesota or Oregon. Schools that are small, that population-wise don't have as much to pull from. But like you said, yeah, I think I think Central Florida doesn't have to change their recruiting no, at all. I think it's nor would Houston. Right. I think it's Cincinnati and BYU that will have to change tactics a little bit. I, Jaron Hall is not there for BYU, and BYU was a major disappointment last year. I feel like, uh, especially defensively, uh, we just expected a lot more out of BYU. So I think BYU's, BYU's in for a bit of a down year this year. Uh, Cincinnati, you know, with Luke Fickle leaving, you know, I think they're, um, I just don't think Cincinnati's got it. I would agree with you that it, I think it's UCF. You got Gus Mel's on there. Um, you know, Reese Plumley is the, John, was it John Reese Plumley is the, um, quarterback there. They were good last year. I think UCF is going to be the best of the four, uh, teams, joining the Big 12 this year. And I think UCF's got a decent chance to... I I think they're going to be one of the better teams in this conference. Um, Of the four new teams, I think UCF's the only one that's going to finish in the top half this year. And that's not to say that it's always going to be like that going forward. But I think UCF will battle to be a top five team in the Big 12. And I don't think any of the other three new ones, at least this year, will make up serious run that. I would agree with that. And looking here at my projections, I only I have Houston at six and six. I have UCF at eight and four. So those out of the four newcomers, I only have Houston and UCF as uh, bull bound at least right now. I have both BYU and Cincinnati at five and seven. We'll see if that comes to fruition or not so they could get a bowl game i guess they could get a nod depending on how many uh bowl spots remain you know that that we would you know would need five win teams but bowl eligible right off the get-go i only have houston and ucf out of the four uh i did not sit down and write out wins and losses for each specific team and have a balanced one like that like i've done in years past I do think that UCF will probably be like seven and five or eight and four, though. And I agree that I think Houston will be like five and seven or six and six, and the other two will not will not go to bowl games. TCU was the surprise not only of the Big Twelve last year, but of college football making it to the national championship game. Max Duggan was uh, the major reason why he's no longer there. Uh, Kansas State did very well last year too. I mean, they've won the Big Twelve. They made it to the Sugar Bowl. 
Uh, Chris Kleiman did a heck of a job, has done a heck of a job there in Manhattan. Uh, but they lose Deuce Vaughn, and that is a significant loss for that offense. Between Kansas State and TCU, teams that had that were in the Big 12 championship game last year, teams that kind of surprised, I think, a lot of people, certainly TCU did, who do you think has the edge this year at getting back to, say, the Big 12 championship game or just that that can sustain the momentum from last year and, and continue to build off that? I think Kansas State definitely does. I think TCU... Losing the quarterback really, really hurts. Kansas State loses Martinez, but he only started about half the time anyway, so I don't think that's going to be nearly as big of an issue as uh, TCU losing Max Duggan. And Kansas State just has way more starters back than TCU, if I remember right. Kansas State has 13 starters back. I guess I guess TCU does have 10. They've got seven back on defense. But TCU's got to replace almost their entire offense, and I think that's going to be difficult. You know, 25 years ago, being like, oh, well, we're going to be really good on defense. We can lean on that. That's much harder to do now than it was 20 years ago, I think, especially in the Big 12. Uh, so I think, Kansas, I think Kansas State is going to be back in the Big I'm not going to – we won't get into everything, but I've got Kansas State back in the Big 12 final game. I was going to ask, do we want I do to, not have TCU in the Big 12 title game. Okay, do we want to unveil the Big 12 championship game, or do we want to wait for that for the last um, week? That's up to you. Game? I've only unveiled one of the teams, so I'll stop there. So if you want to wait, I'm fine with waiting, but I don't have a problem. I think we could, I think we could give our Big 12 championship game, but we won't re- reveal the winner. The that, two teams, but not who's going to take the title? Yes, Okay, I think that's fair. That's, that's reasonable. I like that. I, I like how I said that's reasonable. Like, it's up to me. Well, no, it is. This your is, show. It's no, up to you. But. This, is just, this is as much yours as it is mine here because I, I like having you on here, and I, I value your opinion and your time and want to, want this to be what you would like it to be as well. Uh, I'm just going to – I'm not going to um, hide it either. I have Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game as well. Um Two other teams. Well, now I feel bad. If we both have that, it seems like there have been a lot of times Stacking and Charlie both make like a little tiny bit of a bold pick, and it really backfires. So, I know. It, it could. so for Kansas State's sake, hopefully it doesn't work out that way. Yeah, I would hope so as well. Um, just for the record, I have Kansas State at ten and two this year. I, like I said, I didn't go through and pick all of them, but looking at it right now, I think I will. Also have Kansas State at ten and two, losing at Texas, and then either losing at Oklahoma State or at Texas Tech. Those back to back road yep. games, they I, split those. I agree. I have Texas Tech. That's I was thinking thought. about Kansas, and that's where I want to go to next. Kansas and Texas Tech were two surprises last year. Certainly Kansas, and what Scott Leopold has done there uh to turn kansas around jay uh was it jalen daniels the, or jaden yeah let me get this jalen daniels jalen daniels thank you and uh, lance leopold is the coach yes yep but jalen daniels is an electric quarterback kansas's offense is returning a majority of their production a majority of their starters this they were a surprise team to make a bowl game no one thought this was going to be 
you know, no one thought Kansas was going to be as good as they were last year. I think there are some expectations now, so they won't catch people off guard. But I still really like what Kansas can do, and I expect them to be a bowl team again this year. I think that they'll be a bowl team again. I think they're going to get it by the skin of their teeth, and it's going to take. Like I, I think they're going. To, they were six and six going into bowl season last year. I think they're going to be six and six again. Okay. But if you're Kansas football, I mean, I think you take that. I think you're like, you know what? It wasn't pretty, but we're going to take back-to-back bowl games and just try to build off of that. Day. Yep. I have them at eight and four. So I am. I mean, I, it'd be fun. I don't have a problem if that happens. I don't have. I mean, it'd be weird. To, I mean, there's some things if you don't like certain teams, I get it. Unless you're a Missouri or a Kansas State fan, I think it'd be weird to be like, I hate Kansas football and want them to be bad. I don't really get Texas Tech. I don't understand, like, what... I, I just don't know enough about them. They're, they're kind of... And then, uh, they're just mysterious to me. I have them at 7-5. and five. They could easily be... They're like an attractive people. French woman. They're yeah. mysterious, and you just don't know what's going on. Exactly, and you don't understand them because they speak French and you speak English. So, um, I don't know. What, what do we think about Texas Tech? Like, I, I, I just don't know. They could go five and seven. They could go four and eight. They could go eight and four for all I know. It, it's somewhere in the I just don't know. I mean, this is going to sound weird, but I, I hope you're seated. seated. I think Texas Tech is going to be have a good pass offense. They return eleven starters on offense, mm-hmm. so that's a good start. They good uh, I, they did split time, they, so I mean they return a guy who started games. I should say quarterback. I think he started seven games last year. Or maybe, no, I don't really. Or well, either way, it doesn't matter. They've got a lot of starters back. They're going to be able to throw the ball. Are they going to be able to stop? The ball? I think it'll be like many many Texas Tech teams in the past. I think they'll probably be about seven and five. They'll beat somebody they shouldn't beat, and they'll be like, "Wow, what an upset!" And maybe that'll be Kansas State or Texas or Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And then they'll lose some game. There'll be a point where they seem hot, and then you're like, "Wait, what? You guys, you guys lost to? Let's see who did they play? What would Phil had? Be like, oh, you lost at Kansas when you were eight and three and kind of on or fire right now, or they'll be like, that's weird, and then you know they'll be. You beat Oregon in a shootout and then lose at West Virginia? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But, yeah, Yeah. actually, I like that better. That is a better thing, and I could very much see that. Oklahoma was arguably the biggest disappointment last year, specifically on defense. I mean, you bring in Brett Venables, defensive coordinator from Clemson. You think Oklahoma's going to have this defensive riddle solved and he was they were just awful last year uh you do have dylan gabriel back at quarterback so oklahoma i think will be better this year but i still don't i i would say that texas is clearly the best team in the big 12 to me uh they have the best quarterback yes you lose you don't have Bijan robinson that's tough but there's so much that else that texas has Quarterback is going to be a strength for them. I like Texas so much more than I do Oklahoma, most definitely, and probably better than just about every team in this conference. I just, like, Oklahoma will be better than they were last year, but I don't think they're in a, I don't think they're going to compete for the Big 12 title. 
first time this year going not so fast stack oh, it. Oh, oh. And not so fast in not in the way you're thinking either. Ooh. If you remember right last year, I was much higher on Oklahoma than you are. I think I had I don't remember if I had him winning the conference title or just in the conference title. Ooh, game. Well I have I let's look at the uh let's look at the almanac here. I have that from last year. I don't know why I kept it, but I'm glad I did. You had uh Baylor versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma at ten and two uh, last year, and you had Oklahoma winning the the Big Twelve championship. This year, you're higher on Oklahoma than me. I don't think Venables is a good head coach. I think it's not going to work, and I think that they're going to be six and six or worse. Ooh. Maybe not go to a bowl game. Ooh. I think that they were really good on defense when he had way better talent at Clemson or his first time around in Oklahoma. Okay. And while they're not void of talent, they do not have the best talent in the conference like they're used to having with that with Venables coaches places. And I think that hurts them. And I think they're fairly good on offense, but not great. And if you have a really bad defense and a good but not special offense, in a lot of ways you're like a lot of Texas Tech teams. And I think that's basically what they uh, are going to be this year. Okay. And they, the, the, I'm not saying they, I wouldn't be stunned if they didn't go to a bowl game and went like five and seven. I think there's a good chance they'll probably go six and six, but it'll be like, wow, they went. I guess they, uh, let's see, they lost their bowl game to Florida State last year, finished six and seven. Mm-hmm. I think after bowl season, if they make a bowl, they'll be six and seven or seven and six. And okay. They'll just be like, wow, they're, uh, huh, we thought they'd be better for two years under Brett Venables, and they're not. I would be happy to be wrong about this and be more in your camp with the uh, six and six or maybe not even reach a bowl game. I would love to see that. I just, you, you look at their schedule, their non conference is a joke. They play Oklahoma, They play Arkansas State, SMU, at Tulsa. I mean that. Is... Hey, who's going to want to beat them more than Tulsa? The in the in state team, the smaller school, gets a chance to host them. Sounds like an upset right there. They could. I just don't see it happening. And then you go at Cincinnati. I mean, I don't think Cincinnati is going to be all that great this year. Iowa State at home. I think. I think this is where the overhype is going to come in. I think Oklahoma is going to be 5-0 and headed into the Red River rivalry. And everyone's going to be like, wow, look at Oklahoma. You know, they, they lost 49 nothing to Texas last year. They're ready to exact revenge. Look out here. And Texas is just going to drum them. Like, just going to pound the shit so out of them. So basically, you're saying it's going to be the inverse of like what always happened 20 and 15 years ago with Texas and Oklahoma. It was like, wow, Texas is going to beat Oklahoma this year. And then in the middle of the second quarter, it was like, oh, nope, they're already down four touchdowns. Yep, yep, it's going to be that. I mean, you look, and I I look at uh, this four-game stretch that Oklahoma has here. You got uh, October, pretty much the whole month of October, and in the first week of November. This is going to ultimately decide their season. You have that neutral site game with Texas, October 7th. You get a week off to kind of heal the wounds and stuff off that after that lip after that licking that Texas will give them. They're home to UCF. I could definitely see UCF go into Oklahoma. You have, like I said, you know, Gus Malzahn and UCF. I, I could see that offense going in there, putting up a boat ton of points against uh, Oklahoma's wretched defense and beating Oklahoma. I don't have that. I do have Oklahoma winning that game, but it won't surprise me. They have to go to Kansas. I like Jalen Daniels. Give me, give me Kansas to win that one, and then Oklahoma State. If this is indeed the last rivalry game uh, in the Battle of Bedlam for at least a while, Oklahoma State 
not as talented this year and not nearly as talented as Oklahoma, I would say, but they are going to want to do whatever possible to beat the shit out of Oklahoma and win that final rivalry game for now until the next one, whenever that may be. So I think, you know, they're going to lose that. So I have them losing three out of four games in that, in that stretch. That's that to me, that four game stretch, a difficult stretch, but that's ultimately, I think, what decides their season. How how it goes is how they play in that four games. Stacking, I'm switching what I said, and I'm going with what you said, but on steroids. Oklahoma starts five and zero, gets murdered by Texas, finishes five and seven, no bowl game. <laughs> that's what I'm picking for Oklahoma. This All year. right, I like it. That's the beginning of their downfall. Is the uh, the the Red River rivalry <laughs> going into the SEC on a seven game losing streak? Just what you want. I mean, I. We'll talk about it next year when they are officially in the SEC, but I don't... Texas is, I think, better built to be competitive in the SEC than Oklahoma, but I don't think either of them are going to be all that great compared to the likes of Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida. I think there's going to be a lot of years where you're going to be like, oh, Texas and Oklahoma might get a bowl game here. Like It's a 6-6, and 7-5 and five written all over it for the most part. Yeah, I think they're basically going to turn into South Carolina in years, <laughs> where it's just like, yeah, they're okay. I mean, they're the third best team in the division, or, or I guess they probably won't have divisions, but they'll be like, yeah, they're, you know, out of 16 or 22, however many teams it is now. They'll be like, yeah, they're like eight. I mean, they're fine. You know, they can they can beat the snot out of some ACC team, I bet, but it's, uh, it's not going to be pretty whenever they play anybody really good. Nope. Nope, not at all. Maybe, maybe Vanderbilt even upsets them every once in a while. Okay, that's going a little too far. A little too far there. But uh, speaking of Texas, I think they're clearly the best team in the Big 12 this year. Tremendous quarterback play regardless if it's Quinn Ewers or if it's Arch Manning. I don't think Arch is going to play. I think Quinn Ewers is the guy. But they have so much talent around them despite losing Bijan Robinson. I think Texas is, is the real deal this year. I think they're a potential, they're a fringe playoff team. I think Texas is probably going to have a pretty good year, too. I agree that I think Uwer starts, I think, unless something goes wrong or he gets hurt again. I mean, I suppose it could be a Lou Gehrig thing where he gets injured and then Manning comes in and just goes from there. But I think that there are many years where Texas does not live up to its billing. Um, I think there's a good chance that this is the year. Maybe, not like they're going to win the match. I'll spoil this. I don't have a winning national final. And I don't know if I'm even going to say that Texas is back, but I think this is a year where there's a chance that it's like, oh, hey, we're in November and they only have like one or two or maybe even fewer losses and are like, oh, yeah, they have a chance to to really end the season on a high note. And they have to go to Alabama week two, uh, you know, September 9th. That is a monster game. We don't know what Alabama's. I mean, more than likely Alabama's going to be really good again this year. But Bryce Young is not the quarterback there. They lose a lot of talent. That's going to be a difficult spot for Alabama against you know a guy like Quinn Ewers, who is more of an established quarterback than whatever Alabama is going to throw out. There. I mean, they should have beat Alabama last year. Yes. If Ewers doesn't get hurt, they do beat them. Yes. Well, probably yep. beat them, I should say. But so, yeah. I mean, if Texas beats Alabama week two, I think that springboards them to a potential playoff team. I think if they lose that game against Alabama, I don't they I don't think they make the playoff. But if they beat Alabama there, there's a good chance I think Texas could run the table. They 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 have 
Like I'm looking at their schedule right now. That's not that bad. It isn't. I mean, obviously, we're not. If you're high on Oklahoma, that game's tough. Neither of us are very high on Oklahoma. Um, other than at Alabama, it's like, well, there's Kansas State. And, and Kansas State's at home. I mean, all their difficult games are true. at home. I mean, it's it's not like Texas has an elite home field advantage necessarily. No, no but, 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 Kansas, but you're right. It's still easier to play at home. They don't have to go to Kansas comes there this year. Kansas State goes there this year. Texas Tech, if we're thinking that Texas Tech has it in them to pull off an upset, far more likely that it would take place in Lubbock than it is in Austin. I mean, their, their road games... I could, now, other than at Iowa State, all their other... All their other road games are in the state of Texas. Right. Still. Yep. And I like I just spoil it. I have Texas losing at TCU. That's the only game in the Big Twelve, and even that I don't think is uh, like certainly a likely proposition. Yeah. Um, There's no at West Virginia or at Cincinnati where no. it's this awful super long trip that's nasty for them. No. no, and like I said, I mean, there's not like. You get BYU at home. BYU is not going to be great this year, but I think it would be a little more challenging going to uh, to BYU even this year as opposed to. It is them. worth noting that the last two times Texas and BYU played, it was like, well, Texas is clearly better, and then they lost by four touchdowns because uh, Taysom Hill ran for like 250 yards each game. So yeah. well, there you go. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen again, but the last two times it was like, well, clearly Texas will beat this lowly BYU team. And it was like, well, nope, that didn't happen. I, I think that Texas will win this year. But just to say that, you know, I also thought about the last two times they played. Yep. Um, other teams we haven't mentioned yet, uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Not expecting big things out of any of these teams. Anything that you have on any of these, like – any potential surprises? I think West Virginia arguably might be the worst team in the Big 12 this year. I don't think West Virginia is going to be good. I think Baylor, there's a chance. I mean, if, if you like Dave Aranda as a coach, I think there's a chance that Baylor kind of makes a run. I, I don't have Baylor in the conference title game, but I think it finish potentially in the top five maybe, just with a nice kind of group of guys back, including their starting quarterback, but... But yeah, no, I don't think West Virginia. I mean, I think West Virginia is not going to be that good. I think they're going to play a lot of teams tough when they play in Morgantown. Is that just is how it works? But I don't think they're going to go to a bowl game. And Oklahoma State does not have Spencer Sanders there anymore, so that's a, a significant. Um, that's a this is that's a significant weapon to replace, especially at the quarterback position. So. I think Oklahoma State, that kind of boon or bust, uh, no pun intended, because what T Boone Pickens was a big uh, um, booster for them for many years. But I think it's a boon or bust. They also lose eight of their top ten tacklers on defense. Yeah, that's that's difficult. Not that their defense was that great last year, but also it was even if your defense isn't good, having to replace everyone is still not necessarily a great thing. It was one of the better defenses, I believe, in the Big Twelve last year. It may have been. I just see that they gave up 28.9 points per game, and I'm assuming that that's – I mean, maybe that was – that could have been in the higher end. I mean, it's not uncommon for the Big 12 to be a high-scoring league. So. Right, right. And I know we touched on Iowa State with Deckers and whatnot, but since it's right in your coverage area and your wheelhouse or your nearby anyway, uh, any any more thoughts on Iowa State and what they could be this year? I think – 
not having Decker's place tough, especially because, I mean, and I don't know what the coaching staff knew. Maybe they knew this, you know, two and a half months ago, but still, I don't think that they wouldn't have known during spring practice, and that's where it really makes it hard, is if they knew he wasn't going to do it in the spring, then at least you can kind of prepare for that. Um, even without Deckers, they do have a lot of starters back on offense, if that matters. I mean, without Deckers, they'd still have eight back, including four starting offensive linemen. And, you know, Matt Campbell kind of likes to do, likes to run the ball. I, I think it's possible that they could kind of do the the anti-Big 12 offense and just be like, well, we're going to be good at running it. We're going to be short in the game and try to play good defense. I mean, I think there's a path to them getting the six or six wins maybe, but I think it's going to be really tough. Who do you, you already mentioned Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. Who are they going to face off against? Uh, it hurts me to say this, but I do think it will be against Texas. All right. We have the exact same uh, Big 12 championship game. We'll see if we have the same winner. We'll give that uh, later on this month. Here, uh, I have Texas winning the conference at 10-2. and two. Uh, they Kansas State also ten and two, but losing to Texas. That's the you mean not winning the conference, but but, uh, like, but finishing, finishing first, first of the conference yes. through the regular season. Yes. Yep. Uh, I have Texas losing at Alabama and at TCU. Uh, Kansas State losing at Texas Tech and at Texas. Uh, Oklahoma at nine and three. I really hope that that uh, doesn't come to fruition. Uh, TCU finishing also nine and three, maybe a little higher than. You know what some might think, but that's what I'll go with. Uh, Kansas and UCF both finishing eight and four. Houston and Baylor both six and six. BYU and Cincinnati five and seven. Oh, I've, Oklahoma State seven and five. So they're right in the, the middle there, along with Texas Tech seven and five. Uh, Baylor, Houston both six and six. BYU and Cincinnati five and seven. West Virginia four and eight. Iowa State three and nine. So that's uh. West Virginia and Iowa State rounding out the bottom of the Big 12. Uh, Independence, we'll just uh, we'll touch on that here because it really I don't give a shit about UMass or, or UConn, uh, Army. Sorry, Army. Maybe we, Army does go to LSU this year. That's a that's a potential in, uh, note of intrigue. There we'll see. What... I mean, if there's any team that could survive that tough environment, I would hope it would be the United States military. I, I would hope so as well. Um, as it stands though here, we'll just pretty much focus on Notre Dame here. I'll be honest, like after the whole transfer portal and stuff, and you see that, uh, Sam Hartman is going from Wake Forest where he threw for all I, know, I complete. I mean, I knew that, but I'd completely forgotten about that until checking out a few days ago. I was, I was kind of bullish on Notre Dame. I'm like, I think Notre Dame, and I still do, I think but it, it's cooled a little bit. I think Notre Dame is a potential playoff team, uh, mainly because of who they play. They play Ohio State this year. They play USC. They play at Clemson. I mean, the, the Ohio State and USC are both at home, which really help. Uh, they play. You know, they played the uh, in Week Zero in uh, in Dublin against Navy. That'll be fun. So I think Notre Dame has a really good chance to potentially be a playoff team. But they have lost a few starters here. We'll need to see what head coach Marcus Freeman can do and stuff in, in his full year two 
at the helm of being the head coach there of the Fighting Irish. I really like Sam Hartman, but I, I just don't know if he's going to make certain mistakes that we saw he made, he made sometimes at Wake Forest, if that'll ultimately cost Notre Dame. But I really do like Notre Dame this year. I, I think, what do I have them here at? 10-2, and two, I believe. I think there is a lot to like about them, but there are also a few question marks as well. I agree. I like that they've got eight guys back on defense. Their defense, they, they did give up a few more points at 23 points per game, but didn't give up that many yards. Um, and I think that will continue to improve. Again, Hartman's a big deal, and it's hard for me to get used to this, and you know, depending on how college football goes, maybe I will get used to it. Maybe I never will, but the transfers, you know, being able to just kind of plug and play. Mm-hmm. I do think it's going to essentially just kind of be like a four-game season for Notre Dame. I realize they still could lose to Pittsburgh or at Stanford or at Louisville. I think basically it's just going to be, though, it's going to be at NC State, Ohio State, USC, and at Clemson. And if they win three of those games, they're going to get the playoff. If they lose two or more, they won't. But I think they are good enough to win three out of those four. Maybe even all four. What, which one? Uh, which one did you say outside of Ohio State, USC, and Clemson? You said Pittsburgh. No, I said at NC State, oh, just because NC it's State. early yep. and on the road. Yep. That's yep. If it, if it was home against NC State, I wouldn't say that. But okay. since it is a road game, yep, yep, that's why. And I think uh, I think they're good enough to win all four. I don't think they will. I think it'll just kind of be like, do they go? I think it'll basically be like: Do they go eleven and one, or do they go ten and two? Yep, I I think ten and two, like, but yeah, they, they could be eleven and one. Do you think at ten and two, like, let's say, let's say they lose to USC and at Clemson, but they beat Ohio State? No, I say, I don't I don't see that being a recipe. Okay, let's it, it, let's but let me get I'm, uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. But you're talking about a pass of them getting into the playoff with two losses. Yeah, I don't think it's. Possible. I think if it was like they lost at NC State week three, mm-hmm. and then they lost, say at Clemson, at Clemson in a game where like Hartman and somebody else that was important missed the game with an injury mm-hmm. or got knocked out early, and then had the bye the bye week and then played the rest, the last two games and were 10 and 2. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, again, it's always going to depend on what other teams do. In that scenario, I think that's a, they potentially maybe could. I don't think it would still be likely, but I think it would be possible for them to get in at 10 and 2. I think but it's, as always, it's going to depend on what the second best team in the SEC and the Big 10 do, and it's going to depend what the Big 12 yep. and the ACC and the Pac 12. I, I think if they beat USC and Ohio State, though, if they have two losses, it would be really difficult to keep them out. I would say, it, just based it on would, those Especially wins. if Ohio State ends up winning the Big Ten. Yes. That, that, and that's where you get into that stop. Is you would be like, well, we need... Oh, if Ohio State wins the Big Ten and USC wins the Pac-12, and they can say, well, we're 10-2 and two and we beat both of them, and one of the games we lost, our quarterback didn't play or got hurt right away. Mm-hmm. Then I think you can start making a really, really, really good scenario. The downside is, let's see, do they? I forget. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten, one. They do still only play 12 games, and the thing that hurts would be no Ohio State and USC would both, if they win the conference, would both play a 13th game 
probably yep. playing someone else ranked in the top 15 and get another big win at the yep. end of the year, too. Yep. Nope, I agree. Would would both Ohio State and USC have to win the their respective conferences for Notre Dame to get in? Should they have two losses, but yet beating both Ohio State and USC? I don't think they'd have to win the conference, but I think it helps. I mean, yes. the better they, I mean, certainly it's way better that they win the conference at eleven or you know at twelve or what would it be at thirteen and two or twelve and two or whatever eleven and two or eleven and two. Yeah, 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 the conference had to be eleven and two. That would be better than if it was just nine and three. I mean, a nine and three USC and Ohio State team would both be in the top twenty-five, and they'd still be really good wins, but not as good as if they were eleven and two in conference champs. Agreed. Agreed. Um, now we'll just touch base on some of these other conferences, unless you have any other thoughts on Notre Dame or any other independents. Uh, the only thing I would say is that I think Notre Dame, it's just that it'll be the uh, the third year under Marcus Freeman, essentially. Is it third I mean, year? It's not, or not the, well, I should say not the third year. I guess it was just the bowl game. Yes. Two yeah. years ago. So, sorry. The, the second. Full year. The second full year in, you know, but essentially three off seasons with them more yes. or less. And that, yeah. that I think that it's not crazy to think that they take a jump from you know, like we said, nine and four to a ten and two or eleven and one regular season. Really good then. I would agree. I would agree with that. Uh, we'll t- just touch base here quickly on some of these on the, on the non significant conferences. I'm sorry, the, the non power five, uh, the American Tulane was the Olympic sport conferences. Sure, yes, we, we can call it that. Uh, Tulane was one of the pleasant surprises, one of the great surprises last year. They beat USC in the Cotton Bowl in an epic game, and it's a great comeback for them. They do lose, uh, what, Ty J. Spears, and they lost, uh, was it Dorian Williams, a linebacker, uh, to the draft. So there are pieces to replace, but as I look at the American now, you don't have UCF, you don't have uh, Cincinnati uh, or, or Houston, Memphis isn't what they were. East Carolina. Oh, here's an East Carolina talk. Uh, okay, we're done with that. Uh, sorry. No, East Carolina, you ain't going to do anything this year. If you couldn't do it with Garrett Aylers, you're not going to do it now. Um, so that East Carolina fan, we, we talked about you here for five seconds. That's it. That's all we're going to be. I like Tulane this year. I mean, year. I think they'll go to a bowl game. I think they'll be fairly good. I sure. don't think they're going to play in the conference title game. Sure. That's that's completely fair. But, yeah, not, not sniffing the – the conference championship game, or let alone win the conference. I like Tulane to repeat again this year. And uh, give me uh, the winner of Conference USA last year, who's making their American debut this year, the Roadrunners of UTSA, which, again, they should always have a non-conference game against USD. It's criminal that they don't. Uh, Coyote versus Roadrunner, it needs to happen. If that's how we're going to do this thing in college football here, we need to make that a rivalry so get that started here, but give me Tulane against UTSA and Tulane winning it all. I have the same conference title game, but I'm glad we had a different thing. I think that UTSA is going to win the conference. Okay. They're, they're going to road run away with the conference title game. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, yeah, I like I like that we have a little different there. And, I, hey, that would be – how many I times – I it? also think they're going to have a pretty good re- – I mean, or that they would be a team winning the conference, have a chance to take the uh, – Group of five bid, I don't think they're going to get it because they do play at Houston and at Tennessee. And I think it's going to be – I think they're going to have at least two losses. That's just to say that they are not by 
group of five champion that gets the automatic bid. I sure. have a different team in mind than UTSA that gets that. Yep. Uh, how many times has it been where a team has won back-to-back conference championships in different conferences? In two consecutive years, won yeah. two different conference titles. Yep. Or in like two different conferences. Yeah. I mean, I would assume it's happened before. I can't think of a time off the top of my head. That would. Be- I feel like it's definitely happened with group of five conferences, though. But, but like I said, I don't. I don't have an example firsthand. That's a good question. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. So that that would be something to. To look at here. How about Conference USA? Uh, this is a completely revamped conference. I would argue it's probably it's definitely the worst of the FBS conferences. Got a whole I, know, I was of- going to say, how weird is that? That it used to be Conference USA. It was like, yeah, we're just a little bit below the Mountain West and the American, and now they are the worst one, and that's weird to say. Yep, by far, by far. I mean, you have so. Like, who are the only teams that are that remain in Conference USA? Like, over half the league is new. You got two FCS teams in Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State, who have made the jump up. Uh, new Mexico State was independent. Liberty was independent. They're in there. So yeah, the the the. The leftovers are Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, Louisiana Tech, UTEP, and FIU. So five teams. So congratulations for that. Um, Liberty's really good. Western Kentucky's really good. I I, I do think New Mexico State, we saw what Jerry Kill did in year one. Uh, There at New Mexico State made him far more competitive. They have a great quarterback in uh, Diego Pavia. Uh, he, He did a lot of... Good stuff last year. I'll take Western Kentucky. You know what? I'm going to take Western Kentucky against Liberty in the in the championship game. And against better judgment, I'll take Liberty to take down Western Kentucky. I'm going to take Western Kentucky and surprise, taking UTEP. UTEP wins the conference. Ooh. They lose to Western Kentucky in the regular season. They get revenge in the postseason. Excellent. 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 And this is... UTEP was just 5-7 and seven last year. A lot of this is based off the fact they have 15 starters returning, including their quarterback and four offensive linemen. There we go. And basically, that's all I'm basing <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not an expert on, uh, on UTEP and the minors. Well, I, I'm not an expert on Conference USA in general, nor do I want to be. I'll play the ignorance there. No, especially in this version yeah. of Conference yeah. USA. Yep. Yeah, let's see how they do before we can – Jump on the on board here. I'll I'll be happy to jump on the the uh, you know the 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 bandwagon after they prove it to me. But this is a prove it conference. How about the MAC? Um, MAC. Yeah, we always love the the MACTION in in early November. Here we get uh, games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, I think this was the championship game last year in the Mountain or in the MAC. I have. Oh, Toledo against Ohio, and give me Toledo to win. Uh, that was the conference title game last year. Uh, I am going to go, not quite the same, but similar, which is actually just Charlie's picking one different team, so he doesn't have the exact same conference title game is stacked in. I'm going to go Toledo against Buffalo in the conference title game. Okay. But Toledo is my group of five champ that gets the New Year's six five. Because what's one of the things you need is you need to beat a Power 5 team, upset them early in the season. But it can't be a team that's so good you don't have a chance. I've got Toledo beating Illinois on the road in week 
one. And other than that, they don't play any other Power Five teams. And I think they go thirteen and zero or twelve and one, conference champs. And they, uh, with sixteen returning starters, including their quarterback, I think that they uh, they get the. And I don't remember which bowl game it'll be this year off the top of my head. If it's, uh, I mean, we'll figure that out yeah. when we get to uh, that. But whatever, Cotton Bowl or Fiesta Bowl or whichever one it is, they will uh, they'll take that spot. All right, very good. Mountain West, I mean, it pretty much ends, uh, starts and ends with Boise State. Uh, I don't. I could see San Jose State making it uh, again this year potentially. Uh, Air Force is good. San Diego State, fine. Give me Boise State against Air Force and give me Boise State to win it. I think Boise State's got a very good chance to be that um, that group of five representative. They definitely could be. I basically just didn't want to pick Boise State because I've picked Boise State so many times. They've done it so often. I've got Boise State against San Diego State, though, but like you, I also All right. Very good. Uh, let's finally, what we got two, one more left here. Is it just the, I mean, I think it's just the Sun Belt then, right? The final. I believe uh, it's just the Sun Belt. Yep. All right. So let's go here to the Sun Belt, uh, pulling it up here and get out of here, SEC. We'll talk about you later. Oh yes. James Madison got screwed last year. They should have, uh, won this conference. They should have made it to. Uh, bowl game, but because it was year one, they were not eligible. They rectify that this year. And I like James Madison out of the east. Give me uh, South Alabama out of the west. Narrowly edging Troy. Give me James Madison over South Alabama in the Sun Belt. I like that. I, uh, I'm going to go with Coastal Carolina over the, uh, over Troy. Is James Madison eligible for this? Why does it... Are they, or are they not I'm going to be honest, I don't actually know. Let me flip through and see if it says when I open here. Um, I don't know. Phil Steele, it says, one of my main sets of power rankings has him as 8-4, but still a Sun Belt contender. It doesn't say anything about a bowl game, so I don't know. All right. Well, until... They are... What if I flip through on this page? I'm just seeing, like, uh, the, the Athlon has bowl projections, and they don't have James Madison listed, but they do have James Madison at 7-5. and five. So that makes me think that they are not eligible. But yet, I thought it was just a one-year thing. Either way. It says they were ineligible last year, but it does not say whether they are eligible this year. Well, until I hear other words, until I hear otherwise, I'm going to say James Madison. Fair. I like that. So, there we go. Uh, That does it for our first preview of the season a first week preview of the season uh big 12 we covered a lot here it's it's not going to always be like we're not going to hopefully have to keep talking about conference realignment you know but the next time we talk there'll probably be three new teams switching to different conferences there could there could and we will discuss that if it indeed happens next week next week will be the pac 12 and the big 10 
So, uh, the Pac-12, our very last Pac-12 preview, unless they merge with the Mountain West, which is all we can hope for right now. But, um, yeah. yeah. It's uh, honestly, it, it, it saddens me because I think I'm very excited for the Pac-12 this year. Or I was uh, because I think this is going to be outside of the SEC. I think it's the best conference. It'll have the best conference race in all of college football this year. I feel like I've said this for years that the Pac-12, while it's not been the best conference for, you know, at least six or seven years, probably longer than that, it's always fun. And at the end of the day, that's all you should care about. And it's weird that people are like, no, my my favorite team's in this conference, and all that matters is that my conference is better, even though my team is in the bottom third of the conference. It's like, why? You should just be worried about it, watching fun games. Exactly. exactly. And I'll miss that. Yep, I will as well. Well, it's great catching up with you again, my friend. I, I enjoy this time of the year. I enjoy talking with you, and I look forward to it all, certainly all month long here with our previews and then uh, going into the season as well. But uh, always appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you next week. Yep, sounds good. Thanks for having me, Stack. Absolutely. Anytime, Charlie. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Charlie Hildebrand joining me here, Sports Block Podcast. Lot of talk there, the big college football talk, lots of realignment talk, and it's just it, it's sad for the sport. It really is. But we'll preview it here. We'll give a little gusto to it as this goes on. We are going to wrap up this week's edition talking about the World Cup, Team USA's exit, the reaction, just uh, some more thoughts on the World Cup. We'll get to all that here Next, as we wrap up this week's elongated marathon edition of the Sports Block Podcast, find Charlie Hildebrand on on X now at C.E. Hildebrand. uh, Does great work for the Northwest Iowa Review. Uh, Podcast again, uh, podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search Sports Block. But World Cup thoughts next here as we wrap up this edition, this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. All right, we've talked plenty of football here on the Sports Block Podcast, and let's go to the international football. And who better to do that with than my good friend from the Mitchell Daily Republic, our resident soccer expert, Marcus Traxler. Marcus, how are we doing? I'm good, Saka. How's it going? We're doing very well, thank you. Uh, so, well, let's just get right to it here, the heart of the matter. The United States is out of the Women's World Cup. It's the earliest exit I think they've ever had being uh, eliminated in the round of 16 by Sweden and on penalty kicks, no less. And just a very a dominant effort by the U.S., their best match of the tournament by far, and to have it done in by penalty kicks and to have two veterans essentially fail the U.S. in their penalty kick attempts, that's a real uh, kind of punch in the gut, uh, wouldn't you say? Yeah, just given how the entire... Uh, entirety of the World Cup went for, you know, really these name brand players, uh, Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan being, you know, two of those players, um, they really did not have the type of finish that you wanted. And certainly there's other players that go in that column as well. But uh, for this to probably be the end of that generation going out the door, what a sour way for it to go. Like you said, they played their best match of the World Cup against, um, against Sweden, but uh, just overall not enough, not nearly good enough to win the World Cup. And I think there's something to be said for the rest of the competition being better and tougher to beat. Um, But at the same time, the U.S. never was right, never had the lineup right, never was healthy enough in this World Cup run. Um, 
you know, some of the in-game management just felt a little off, and uh, they're they're out of it. Where do we start with the issues here? Does it does it immediately start with Latko, and you know, does do you foresee him being the head coach come the next World Cup here in four years? I don't think there's any way he's the he's the the coach much longer of this national team. Um, I think the the earliest exit on record is is proof all you proof you need of that. Um, time to go somewhere else. So I think he's uh, certainly deserves his share of the blame. I, I just felt like uh, they just were not uh, cohesive enough. Didn't have the offensive, you know, aggressiveness that was going to be necessary to win this. Um, there's a lot of kind of different elements there that just never had the right roster, never had the right lineup. It is worth noting that they had a lot of key players that were never part of this injured. And Mm so in retrospect, it's worth considering that as well. But um, just didn't feel like they had the right makeup in this World Cup to put some goals together. And you look at how little they scored in this World Cup, four goals, essentially. uh, It's it's kind of shocking. 200 200 plus minutes without a goal here in the World Cup. I think that's the longest ever by the U.S. women in terms of you know, the scoreless drought. Um, no doubt, again, the U.S. played their best match against their toughest opponent. Sweden has been uh, a, kind of a thorn in the U.S.'s side, I would say, or certainly has been a team that's given the U.S. the most trouble here in recent years, and they are the third-ranked team in the world, and yet the U.S. completely dominated. And if it wasn't for... Uh, Musevich, the goalie for Sweden, the U.S. probably wins this match, certainly in regulation, if not in extra time. She was absolutely sensational, and just getting, you know, if it, you know, maybe an inch or two here or there, and the U.S. gets a couple of goals by her, but she was absolutely in the zone and on fire making all those saves. Uh, and I think that had to have really frustrated the U.S. because they were getting good looks, good shots on target, and nothing could get by Musevich. Certainly, she played great. I think what makes it also frustrating is uh, she did not have to make a save in the shootout um, yes. because yes. The, the U.S. blew a couple wide, and um, you know, for as good as she was for 120 minutes, uh, they didn't eat her in the in the shootout because. They either put them past her or the, when it came down to clinching uh, victory, uh, they missed the shots. And so, um, yeah, overall, sure, they, they did play a little bit better. I think that's probably something that, you know, was at least good to see. But I mean, just overall, underwhelming uh, yes. that you can't go two whole games without scoring. And um, I just think there's just a, a lot of kind of a lot of things to be frustrated at if you're a U.S. fan. For sure. Speaking like specifically to the penalty kicks, uh, you know, once Sweden hits theirs wide, I believe that was on the third shot, and then um, Alyssa Nayer makes that save on the fourth attempt, you're like, okay, like I feel pretty good about this. But you know, Megan Rapinoe's shot on her for- on the on the fourth PK went uh, that missed by a mile. I mean, I th- I think I saw something on on X about shoot, like Shooter McGavin showing that little clip of, of the, you know, when Adam Sandler hits the golf ball and it knocks that old lady out of the window and, uh, you know, kind of did it there because that was how poorly it was. And she is getting a ton of criticism, not only for the smile, but just for everything uh, throughout this tournament, her being an activist and, and whatnot. Um, but I want to get to that more here in a minute. But... 
Sophia Smith also had a golden opportunity. If she makes her shot, we aren't talking about Megan Rapinoe missing her shot. We're talking about the U.S. advancing to the quarterfinals. So as, for as much as we want to criticize uh, Rapino, and I think there, it's fair to do that to a degree, Sophia Smith also could have made her shot, and then we wouldn't have to be in this conversation right now. Yeah, and for her being one of the players that we were looking towards in this World Cup, overall she didn't play very well. And it didn't seem like she was necessarily right for this moment. And, look, that's that's one of the things. that It's not easy to be the manager of this U.S. team when you do have a lot of talent. You have a lot of pieces that can fit together. Um, but like we kind of talked about before, it just never felt like they kind of fully had it correct in this run-up to the World Cup and then in the, the four matches they played. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, yeah, that was a lost opportunity for the U.S. because – I thought the same thing. Um, when you when you send your goalkeeper out there, yes. uh, maybe that was in the extra shots that, that Nayer went out there and made hers, but just when you reach that point, you're like, okay, well, um, you know, maybe, we, uh, okay, we don't have any better options. It just seemed so strange. And then, yeah, you go to the, the, the actual forwards, the people that are uh, paid to score goals. Uh, in this case, this team is paid to do that. Uh, you kind of shake your head that those were the players that couldn't convert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know, putting Kelly O'Hara, again, a, a veteran of, of many World Cup squads, she's you know, she's won a couple in the past, to put her in just minutes before the penalty, the penalty kicks, and then hers hits off the post. I mean, so she was very close, but ultimately it didn't go in. It's just another one of those, like, was she the best option at that moment for Vlatko to put, in, put to put her in that situation. Yeah, you always shake your head a little bit when you bring in players that are essentially cold to hit that one shot um, in penalties, and there's you know literally the pressure of the world watching. Um, and it did work in in one instance in that because they put on they brought on two two players. I forget who the other one was, but they brought on two players. One made one one didn't. And yep, Christy Mayhews you know, was the other one, I believe. Right, and so that's always a gamble, but you know. The flip side of that is, okay, I'm bringing in somebody who's fresh rather than somebody who's played for two hours. So, you know, there's there's multiple ways to look at that. Yep. Uh, I really like the kind of the core of Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, and Lynn Williams move forward. Lynn Williams is fast, and she was really generating a lot of chances for the U.S. moving forward So whole, or in that match. So hopefully that uh, is something that the U.S. can build off of and just kind of regroup reset and and figure out what the team needs to be moving forward but uh to sweden's game-winning goal on the pk uh lena hertig with you can't get any closer to not scoring a goal or to scoring a goal like hertig i mean that was millimeters away from uh, nayer making an incredible double save on that pk yeah and you know what we we talk we've talked for years about how important goal line technology is, it was important there, right? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think by the natural eye they were going to give that goal. And then you have the, you know, sort of the eye in the sky that's able to zoom in and I guess make a determination. You got to trust the machines on that one. And yeah, I mean, it just felt like that's what the U S deserved. You know, they kind of let it uh, get too close there for, uh, for it to come down to the eighth or ninth round of penalty kicks. And, you know, that's that's the way it ended up shaking out. So um, certainly 
super close. I thought it was saved off the line, yeah. you know, live. But I was you know, just going to say, like, did you see like the little any space in between, like get past the goal line? Because it's very tough to tell, even on the VAR, that it fully crossed the goal line. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see that little gap there, you know, that, that would seem to indicate that, yeah, it, it got over, but we're literally talking about blades of grass by yes. that point. And so, you know, you, you do wonder about the margin of error, um, but they were, they clearly felt good, good enough about it to go with it. Yep. Uh, mentioned Megan Rapino and, you know, her little smile, smirk, however you want to describe it after she missed that shot. And a lot of people are criticizing her for that. Like, how can you smile in that situation? And for her, she said it afterwards, it's just like a cruel joke. Like, I can't believe I missed it that bad in my final World Cup game, my final World Cup match. Her and, you know, Julie Ertz announced that she's retiring too. But it, it amazes me. It probably shouldn't, given this day and age that we live in. But how many people are just attacking not only Rapino but the U.S. women's soccer team as a whole? And how many people were celebrating the fact that the that the U.S. lost? I mean, it, they call themselves patriots, but how can, it's so anti-patriotic to to actively root against your country here in a moment like this? I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but. It, it still took me a little bit aback, just the amount of criticism that that they that they were getting right after this and the amount of joy people got out of them losing, not just from around the world, but from our own country. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I know we, we talk about, uh, you know, we talk about this, we talk about the Olympics. You know, I don't, certainly I, I love living in this country and I love watching a lot of these teams. But I don't begrudge somebody that doesn't follow the national team to the end of the earth and believes in everything they believe in. So, and it's players. And certainly the players on the U.S. women's national team are lightning rods. In a lot of ways, they're lightning rods for good because they were lightning rods to, you know, earn more money and be paid justly as they should be. Yes. Be paid, be paid more because they draw just as many eyeballs, if not more eyeballs than the men Mm -hmm. and have had more success than the men. Um, But at the same time, you can't put yourself out there to the degree that Rapino has put herself out there over the entirety of her career without expecting to have some backlash. Yes. And I think Megan Rapino knows that she's not, she's not dumb, you know? And so that's, you know, certainly she knows that's part of it. Is some of it unfair? Absolutely. Uh, There's no question that she's, she's catching more heat because of, having blue hair and you know her sexuality and those sorts of things there's no yeah. question she's catching uh stuff for that and for the causes she she stood up for um you know that's not always fair but i think rapino probably can live with that yes um i think you can separate all that from the fact that she did not play very well in this world cup mm-hmm. and you know you can evaluate you know what you feel about that when she's in her you know what is she 37 39 however old she is mm-hmm. um you know that's fair. That's yep. fair criticism, and I think Rapino probably knows that, given that how, how you know messed up of a World Cup she had. I don't yep. have a problem with the smile. You never know how a player is going to react in a situation that they don't expect. It's so out of character for them. Mm-hmm. You see that. You see that sometimes. You see players with kind of a goofy reaction or something that looks out of place because they're caught so far off guard by it. So I don't have a big problem with that. I think in some ways. She's getting criticism that she knew she would get if they 
didn't win at all, quite yep. frankly, because the bar is so high yes. for the U.S. and so high for her. It went badly, and I, I, it, it's going to hurt for her now. Overall, she's going to be a very important person in the history of uh, U.S. women's national team soccer, soccer as a whole, mm-hmm. and I, she's not going to take a back seat in her activism and that sort of thing, and that's going to make some people happy, and that's going to make some people mad, uh, but she's well within her right to do that, and she knows it. She's got a platform. Yep. I guess it was just more, yeah, and I and I get, yep, she's she's fair game for criticism based on everything that she said. But it's just more like how much joy people were taking out of Team USA losing. I that I was a little more taken aback by, not necessarily like specific criticism towards Rapino. Though even I have to admit, I was critical after they, uh, you know, escaped Portugal by a post. You know that that they were all smiling and dancing. I think Rapino was was kind of the main one there. It's like, you guys should be breathing a sigh of relief that you aren't going home right now. I think there's a there's kind of a, uh, a fine line to balance, you know, after that sort of thing. Like, yes, you can be happy that you've advanced to the, to the knockout stage, but yeah, you have to kind of recognize here, oh, boy, we haven't played really well. And, you know... Regarding her PK kick, I'm fine with that. So, like, wow, I can't believe I missed that. And people are going to take that. But I had more of an issue, I guess, with the dancing and the smiling after they were nearly eliminated by Portugal, a team that they had outscored 39 to nothing in 10 previous matches. I think also to go with this, there's a little bit of dissonance. I think if we're going to broaden it out to the entire team between what the team was feeling and what they thought needed to be done. And everybody's sitting on their couches in the middle of the night back home. Yes. Because yep. because clearly <laughs> clearly our expectations were higher. And not that they didn't want to accomplish a lot, but um, they just didn't ever seem like they fully grasped, okay, the urgency of needing to be dominant like, like yep. these teams have been in the past. And I think some of that goes to the point that Carly Lloyd was saying of this team not really meeting the standard of past teams. And, you know, Carly Lloyd was there. We can take her word for it. She yes. would know. Um, and so that's an opinion I think is fair. Yep. And I think that there's just a, there was a dissonance or a disconnect between what the team was feeling there. And I think what you're saying about the, the Portugal game is a perfect example of that. Of like, they're grateful. They're, they're grinning. They're smiling because they survived. And everybody else in the U.S. is like, what was that? Because you're, you barely got through. I think some of that's the heat of the moment. They don't recognize how poorly it looked. Uh, to all of us back home, yep. Um, and and yeah, they're they're you know they're just grateful, joyful that they got through. And um, I think that also speaks to just kind of this bigger. There's just a lot of issues. It mm-hmm. just seems like they're not um, the youth talent that fed this team at an elite level doesn't necessarily appear that it's there or it's ready yet. And if you don't have that level of talent, you're not necessarily going to have it at what we would call a senior level now playing you know, for world championships and, and Olympic titles and all that. So they got to figure out a lot of stuff. They got to figure out the roster. You're going to be moving on some key players. I think that will help kind of free some stuff up. Yep. Like I said, they need to get healthy. They were missing three, four key players. Um, and so that will be important to see, particularly next year. I would I would expect this team to be in the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what the qualifying procedure will be, but got to think they'll be in it. And that's the next major title to keep an eye on and it's certainly a lot of the issues could stem from you know the lack of substitutions and the lineup that was put out there by Vlaco. i mean if he's not going to be there i 
I have no idea who the, the, the next best person would be to come in here, but I think you'd kind of do need to get someone in there who understands, you know, what this program is all about, kind of maybe reset, because it's clear that the rest of the world has caught up to the U.S. to a degree. Um, you know, I mean, certainly Sweden, Japan playing outstanding. England and France are up there, of course. Uh, and we've seen a lot of upsets here in this World Cup. You know, Germany bowing out, uh, Italy, uh, you know, uh, so many teams that have been knocked out that have been mainstays. We've seen such great stories like from Morocco and Nigeria, South Africa. Now, granted, those teams have since been eliminated. But it's clear that the rest of the world is catching up, if not has has entirely caught up in, in some countries' um, perspective. So the U.S. does need to find that next voice. I don't know who it is, but you need someone that's that's going to kind of reshape the um, the mentality that this team has and, and the vision for this program moving forward. No question about it. No question about it. They need a new voice. They need to bring... This entire operation under one one common theme, one one thing. I think it's time to let this youth movement take over, and let's see where it takes them. There is a lot of talent. Is it the upper, upper, upper level of? I mean, are they going to be the number one team in the world all the way through to the next World Cup? Probably not. But they need to start to turn the page, give some of this youth a chance to come through, see where it takes them. They are already qualified for the Olympics, uh, so that part's taken care of. So. Um, I think you certainly look forward to where they're going to be, you know, in a year's time. As for the rest of the World Cup here, we are to the quarterfinals now. All the kind of, like I said, the Cinderella stories, the, the South Africa's, uh, Morocco, uh, Nigeria, they're all gone. Jamaica, they're gone. But one, uh, I guess, a, I don't know if that's necessarily a Cinderella story, but a very cool story. Australia has advanced to the quarterfinals. They took out Denmark 2 to nothing. Colombia, uh, a program that has had a lot of issues leading up into this World Cup, they continue to impress. They beat Jamaica 1 to nothing here, and they will take on uh, England in the final quarterfinal matchup. So that's going to be interesting. You have Australia and France on the 12th, Japan versus Sweden, which I think is the marquee matchup here in the quarterfinals, and then Spain and the Netherlands here. So with the U.S. out now, you have these final eight teams left. What are you looking for here as uh, we head to the semis and then, of course, the championship? Yeah, I agree with you. I think Japan-Sweden is, is a great matchup. Japan has played really well in this World Cup. I Certainly Spain-Netherlands in, in a few days' time, uh, in prime time here in the U.S., that should be a great match. Mm -hmm. um, you know, two teams that are rolling. Spain won 5-1 in the, in the round of 16. And uh, I think England to a certain degree, is in the same boat as the U.S., fortunate to get through um, against Nigeria. And yep. so uh, they're going to face a red-hot Columbia team. That's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And I, I would expect France to, to end the dream here for Australia coming up soon. But um, certainly Australia has played you know, to the level necessary to get to this point. They have not been a fluke. So I'm eager to see you know how things would shape up. I, I think it's more likely that the champion will come from the Spain, Netherlands, Japan, Sweden side of the bracket rather than mm -hmm. uh, France or England. I, I think Colombia and Australia are kind of the Cinderella runners here. Although Colombia, you know, has shown a lot in this in this World Cup, so I'm looking at the uh, kind of the, the early part of the bracket here as it, as we look at the quarterfinals as being the side that 
potentially produces a champion. I would agree with that. I'm just going to say right now, I think the winner of Japan-Sweden wins the World Cup. Um, I think they... They've played. I mean, Japan has played so well here. But again, part of that is you know, look who they've faced. You know, and like their group was not anything. You know, Zambia and Costa Rica weren't any um, any test for them. Spain was their their toughest test, and they they took care of them. Uh, so I would probably say I, I like Sweden, but. You know, it's very tough for me to go against Japan at this point. And I think the winner of that match, I think, is going to win it all. Yeah, I'm just looking here. Japan has not beaten Sweden in a head-to-head match uh, since 2011. That was in a World Cup as well. So, uh, and, and they've only played three times since then, but uh, one of those being in the Olympics uh, in 2021. So certainly you look at Sweden sort of you know, a little bit better history when these two teams have met recently. Any final thoughts uh, regarding the World Cup here or anything that else has stood out to you here throughout this tournament since we last spoke? We've said it a lot. Uh, it's just a, it's a lot more difficult to keep track of uh, with just the time situation. Uh, there's been a lot of mornings where I'm, I'm just catching up on what happened. Uh, not necessarily what I see live in the U.S. the other day when, when they played. Um, just so happened I kind of – woke up as extra time was starting uh, because I had a bad hunch about the game to begin <laughs> with. And then, uh, you know, it ended up working out that I was able to watch the last 45 minutes or whatever it was. But um, it's just one of those things where you kind of have to pick your spots because we talked about this last time. You really couldn't ask for any worse timing uh, as far as when a lot of these matches are, ha- are happening. Yep. But we, From- do, we do have the championship at 5 a.m. coming up. Yep. We do have this one final primetime game. Uh, this week, and then, yeah, a lot of games in the middle of the night from here on out. But, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting to kind of, you know, and I'm sure there's other parts of the world that say the same thing when there's stuff happening here. I'm sure oh, Australia's yes. yep. thinking that, too. So That's what you know, I was just going to say. You can't it, cater it goes to around. Us. Yep, I was just going to say, you can't always cater to the U.S. here in terms of the time and stuff. But, yeah, it, it well, does. Good thing they didn't because they're out. Yep, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, anything else you would like to bring up here while I have you on? No, I mean we're we're burning we're burning towards football season. Uh, certainly, that's exciting. Um, I, I'm in South Dakota, so we're we're ten days away from the start of high school football here. And Amazing as far as games, so yeah, it's, it's we're just flying along. We got the Vikings right around the corner, so um, yeah, it's it's a good time but it's a, a clear sign that summer's over for me yeah so. yep for sure you and travis both you, know, you have a busy season uh coming up here for you right ahead of you i always appreciate the time marcus and uh, i'm sure we'll touch base here once the world cup ends and whatnot but uh enjoy the rest of the tournament here and we'll talk soon my friend thanks Stacken. thank you marcus marcus traxler here from the mitchell daily republic kind enough to join me for a few minutes to discuss the world cup and yeah tough way for the u.s to go out um unexpected that there's a lot of changes that need to be made but you have to listen to the voices that have been here before that have won you know listen to the carly lloyds i don't know listen to the you know julie foudy uh yeah foudy i believe yeah the brandy chastity whoever wants to to say the mia hams if anyone wants to how about you know listen to the alex morgans you know now that julie Ertz and megan rapino have retired listen like figure it out so that you can regain your claim as the best team in the world here for the next World Cup in 2020.
27. And of course, the Olympics next year in Paris, so we'll see what happens in all of that. That, though, will end this marathon edition of the Sports Block podcast for this week. Ton that we talked about. College football realignment was the main draw, uh, the main story. Of course, uh, wide variety of, of thoughts and opinions on that between Charlie, Travis, and myself. We're all kind of somewhere in the, uh, we're all on different ends of the spectrum or different areas of the spectrum. So uh, lots of baseball talk with Travis. Uh, of course, World Cup talk with Marcus. You can fo- follow Marcus on X at Marcus Traxler. Uh, again, uh, I'm on X at Andy Stacken. Travis Krins is on X at Travis Krins. Charlie's on X at C.E. Hildebrand. Facebook, Nathan Stacken. The link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. Find us on podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search the Sports Block. And that will do it here. We have more. Uh, we'll have more thoughts on the World Cup next week. We'll see where we're at there. Of course, our college football uh, season preview continues next week with the Pac-12 in its final year of existence in all likelihood. Uh, as is, for at least, at the, at the very least, we'll see you know, if they can do, you know, tape something together, merge with the Mountain West, something. Something's got to happen here. So we'll see what happens there, uh, but we'll, we'll talk Pac-12 and Big Ten next week with Charlie. Of course, talk about all of the big headlines in the sports world. Uh, get final thoughts on the State Amateur Baseball Tournament in South Dakota with Travis, and we'll get to it all uh, next week. So thanks so much for listening to this marathon edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Always appreciate you listening. It's a great time of the year. Football is here. It's, it's, it's nearly here. And we're talking about it all month long and, of course, all season long as well. So for Travis and Charlie and Marcus, I'm Nathan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week. And we will talk to you next week on another edition of the Sports Blog Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.